John Gonzano. Raw, sourced, fresh. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, built by high caliber millwrights, this is the bald faced truth. Welcome in, bald faced truth Friday edition. Here on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network, Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, back in the chair for the ball to win today. Fellas, what's good on a Friday? Living the dream. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. What's up, Bobby? I'm glad this show is starting. It seems like it takes forever before this show starts. <laughs> Ever since we uh, signed off the air at about 3 o'clock yesterday, to this point right now, I've just been begging to crack the mic again. <laughs> Crack the mic again. So much to get to today. Blazers over the dubs in exciting fashion last night. 110 to 109. Dame time rips it out of Oracle and perhaps his final game in his hometown. You can't script it any better. Terry Stotts moves into second all-time franchise history for wins by a head coach. Only Dr. Jack to go. Where does Terry Stotts rank then among greatest blazer coaches ever we never really talk about him in that context yeah he's up there he's got to be up there he's got to be up there now so we'll have that conversation plus red box bowl this is the final show before the red box bowl it's finally here so ready ducks michigan state great matchups from this football game coming up new year's eve right at noon on fox we will go live to san francisco and talk to tyson alger of the athletic at 1 30 to talk about uh media day down at the Red Box Bowl, which is going on as we speak. So we will bring you the latest news and notes from Media Day. Who is speaking? What are they talking about? Mark D'Antonio, I think, is on the podium right now, followed by Michigan State players and then Mario Cristobal and a handful of Duck players as well, including Ugo Amadi and Shane Lemieux. We'll also hear from Troy Dye from yesterday's practice, Jake Hansen from yesterday's practice, Justin Herbert as well. We'll reset some of the top audio around the country and around the region on this Friday. You can also join along at 503-417-7575. Today is the day to get in your picks and predictions for the Red Box Bowl. We'll be taking those all along the way. The Red Box Bowl, by the way, it uh, confirmed that it does still have kiosks in Eugene and East Lansing. Oh, good. I was wondering. Which I think would probably be prerequisites to play in this game. You still have to have a re- – last time you had a red box uh, experience? Oh, Is gosh. that what they're calling it, by the way? A red box experience? Yeah. Yeah. How can we maximize our consumer's red box experience from parking to driving away? I haven't, I haven't used a red box in years. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I used a red box. See, I mean, even just, when they were quote unquote popular, I never really used one. Were they popular at one time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and they still are. Look, I, I live in Tigard and um, Bull Mountain area, and once I hit 99, the closest stores to me, there's a Walgreens, and then kind of kitty quarter to that same block, there's a 7 Eleven. And depending on what I want, uh, beer wise, I'll hit one or the other. There you go. There's a red box at both of those. Nice. There's two red boxes on one block, and there's always someone lined up. So it's still popular amongst some group of people. So why are you going to rent a red box? Is this like. Is this you and the lady cozying up doing stuff? Is this like, look, I've got a solo Friday night. The lady's working. I just want to watch some random thing. Like, what kind of movies do red boxes carry? I'm I'm asking because I'm uh, I'm ignorant. And Bobby, you probably are too. Have you ever done no? A red box? I'm not. It, no, I'm not ignorant to this. I would never rent rent a red box. I can get it right at home. There's nothing at red box I can't get at home. Isn't it all? 
it's like the big budget action movies that yeah. I'll never see in my life because I don't enjoy that kind of stuff. But I'll walk by the red box. I'll look at it, and all I see just plastered on the squares is just a bunch of superheroes that yeah. I don't recognize. It's for people. It's for people that still, you know, that aren't. You know, wireless don't have any kind of you okay. know they're still using the DVD player or Blu-ray player or whatever they're using. Yeah, what do you do? Are you a Hulu? Uh, I'm an Amazon do? Prime guy. Amazon Prime. Yeah, good selection. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I love it. I, I you know I use it for so many things that um, but that's what I use. Prime is sneaky good. They gotta organize yeah. the the menu. It's so hard to find it stuff. Is. But then when you find it, they have a stellar selection. It's I, called search. Yeah, it's called search. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> okay, sometimes I just want to browse. I don't know what I'm looking okay. for. I just want to like, like I watched the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> That's sneaky good. Oh, it's Are not even sneaky. Me? That's a stellar no, show. No, it's sneaky good though. I mean, for somebody like you and I, I mean, for me, I watch it because I have Amazon Prime. I only watch it now because it won an like, Emmy, and I was like, I should check this out. Because oh, it, did, it didn't interest me. It didn't. It didn't, you know, for, it just wasn't my, up my alley. And then I started watching it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Yeah, the actress in that, Rachel, I don't remember her last name, but she, she was on, did you, watch House of, did you watch House of Cards? I didn't watch House okay. of Cards. Okay. Ra- Rachel Brosnahan. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she played a very minor minor role in House of Cards. It took me like four episodes to realize it was even the same actress. She's she's so good. And a lot of times with the young uh how can we put this pleasant faces in the uh, industry, it's not necessarily for the acting chops. She has got the chop. She is fantastic. She is the uh niece of Kate Spade, the oh. late Kate Spade. Didn't oh, know wow. that. But yeah, Rachel Brosnahan. Um Bobby, have you gone on the record on the radio show with your involvement in movies? No. Are you looking to do that? No. Can I please disclose? No, and you can't. All right, well, fine, fine. We'll just say Bobby's a movie guy, and uh, if you run into him in the store, you can. He Just look for him. He's a six, uh, six four, 290-pound uh, guy that loves to talk movies. He'll be the guy talking movies in the line. But needless to say, Bobby knows what he's talking about when it comes to uh, movies. Uh, anything good uh, in this kind of holiday season that you've seen, Bobby, that you'd recommend? Vice. Oh, Vice. Okay. I, I told you that off the air. I, yeah. I, I, that's another one I really liked. Vice is a good one. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen some of the normal ones because I, I, I get a chance to see them at home. Right. So, um, because star- you, because you are who you are. I, <laughs> I saw a star is born and it was kind of what I thought it was. I mean, I'd seen the old huh. one, so it was good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Lady Gaga, I was like, wow. Okay. I bought it. That was great. She better than uh Streisand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, you gotta go back. I mean, I wasn't alive when that, I just saw it. Okay. Streisand. <laughs> yeah, a little uh, yeah. chronological snobbery on my part there. Yeah, so yeah, that's cool. That's I cool. Mean, <laughs> you know, but there's some more. There's some more out there. I I have to see. You know, what? I saw weeks. that. Uh, there's that Grinch movie. I know it's yeah. animated, but I saw that like right after Thanksgiving. Great, great movie. It gives background to the Grinch's story growing up, and no other film has done that. I mean, I mean. The Jim Carrey ones, yeah, yeah, whatever. They're fine. But this for an animated movie with voiceover work, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does the voiceover of The Grinch. He's so good. And uh, it, it tells you how The Grinch became The Grinch. And I don't know, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like, man, I appreciate that. Very holistic, very family-friendly. Gives yeah. a positive meaning at the end. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. That's good. I'm going to have to take the kid over to see that one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Deep inside, I'm a four-year-old. So 
You Nothing know, wrong with my that. My favorite Christmas movie is Charlie Brown Christmas. I watch that every single year. That and The Sandlot. I can live off that stuff. Oh, that's Sandlot. solid. Yeah. Oh, that is solid. I watch The Sandlot every year on my birthday. Is there a movie that you have to watch at least once a year? Oh, yeah. Boogie Nights is up there for me. That's oh, that's yeah. that's in the top four. I'll inevitably <laughs> do a, a Godfather marathon where I'll... I'll You'll uh, even watch three? Which I was about to say, three? <laughs> what are you talking about? They only made two. Okay. There's no Godfather three. Look, the Godfather three is decent. It's fine. But the issue with it is it exists in a world where the first two have been made, and it just pales in comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's Sophia terrible. Coppola, though. Oh, you know Wynota Ryder was supposed to play that role, and she got sick. That movie would have been infinitely better. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she yeah. almost single-handedly ruins that movie with her acting. Yeah. Lack of chops. You wow. know what was good, and I was talking to you about this yesterday, was Black Klansman. That's very good. Is that the uh, Spike, Spike Lee? Lee movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was sneaky good, too. Black Klansman. I'm yeah. going to have to look that up. I really like that movie. Nice, nice. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot to get. They still don't have a host for the Oscars. Did you know this? Yes, I did know this. They're still looking for a host. What happened to that award show, man? It got, just for just to say, it got too political. It's, yeah. It shouldn't get political. People don't want to watch political stuff. They, they just don't. don't. They really don't. They Have don't you, want you to pick a side. Just, hey, do your movies. Talk about movies. Talk about escape. Talk right. about things that we, you know. Have we you attended one of those events before? Or one I of those type attended. of film events? Mm-hmm. Is it uncomfortable? In what way? Well, because whenever I watch it on TV, the camera is always panning around to the A-listers that... It just doesn't look like they know how to laugh at themselves or laugh in general. <laughs> well, they don't. And the best one to watch is the Golden Globes because they get to drink during the um, oh, during the ceremony. Amen. So, so you'll see them a lot more relaxed during those. In fact, you see them a little bit more than relaxed sometimes. But uh, that's 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 a much more relaxed situation. You know, they have tables or serving food. You see the waiters coming out serving food and everything during mm, that time. So, I love that. yeah, I'm done with that. Well, speaking of drinking and sipping. Bubbly. <laughs> you have my attention. Terry Stotts, literally drinking champagne after the game last night when his Trailblazers defeated the Golden State Warriors in overtime, 110-109. to What a basketball game this was, not because it was exceptional basketball. <laughs> Bar none. It was, it, was, it, was, it was hard to watch in some ways, but beautiful to watch in others, and it ended like this for the Trailblazers. On the inbounds, volleyed and tipped, grabbed by Nurkic. Guns it ahead to Lillard. Lillard into the paint, turns, swings it to Aminu, makes a tremendous catch, back to Dame, raising and hits! Damian Lillard from the outer limits, reels in a three. Blazers lead it, 110-109. Part of a 21-point night for Damian Lillard, but that three-pointer... How pure was that three? From that TV angle, it looked so good. It just splashed right in. And to be honest, Samson, like, it was an inch away from never happening. If it's not for Al Farouk Aminu chasing down that that bad pass by Lillard and getting the turnover in the first place. Yeah, you, Calabro was very generous when he said swings it to Aminu. By that, <laughs> if, if you mean uh, trapped on the baseline and just chucked it into the front court, yes, he swung it to Aminu. And look, Aminu did this all night long. He was only 3 of 13, I believe, from the floor. A bad offensive night, but look, he was on every loose ball. He had a sneaky good game. Damian Lillard, despite being the hero, had a sneaky bad game. He was making poor decisions all night, and look, yesterday on the show, I called Damian Lillard's going to be looking for that big moment the last time he's playing in his hometown, and he was trying to get that big moment, probably pressing a little too hard all night, 
But look, when it mattered, when the game was on the line, when he caught that in the baseline and he raised up, you knew that was going down. Yeah, it was a huge, huge win for uh, the Blazers. Huge for Dame playing in Oracle, playing in Oakland for probably the final time in his career in his hometown. It's a great way to go out, you know, hitting a big shot uh, against the top team in the league, defending champs. Uh, we needed this. You know, this is a huge win for our team, and we did it collectively. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the way we're going out of here. So he only goes 7 for 20 from the floor, 3 of 8 from 3, but he's got the 21 points. CJ McCollum had 24, but Yusuf Nurkic had the best scoring night of all. 27 points, 12 rebounds. Nurk came through in a big way to lead the Trailblazers. Yeah, he was 10 of 18, and honestly, I would have liked seeing him get a few more looks when Lillard, uh, at the end of regulation, just sort of dribbled for a while and bounced it off his leg and couldn't get any sort of real shot off. I would have liked to have seen them dump the ball into Nurkic there. Yusuf Nurkic against smaller guys, he's just a too big a load to handle. Draymond Green... He was going right at Draymond, spin left, spin right to the center of the key with the baby hook. He had no answer for him. Massive night for Yusuf Nurkic. You know, he's a guy that you you kind of forget about Nurkic's toughness. And even though he can get bullied by some guys, and maybe not bullet, bullet might not be the right word, but Gobert's a bad matchup. And we just saw it twice. Yeah, he's just not a factor. Not a factor. But against certain guys in the league, you mentioned Traymond Green, who many consider to be a rugged, rugged, tough defender, especially even down low. Despite being 6'8 or 6'9, he can match up well with guys that uh, oversize him. He can't match up with Yusuf Nurkic. No, and, no. And that, that was shown last night. Even KD, who's a 7-footer, I mean, Nurkic put him in the spin cycle a couple of times down low. Like, you love to see that from a guy that you know is physically superior to a lot of guys in the league, especially in this day and age where... The team like the Warriors in the league in general wants to go small. The Blazers would still have an advantage in Yusuf Nurkic down low. Exactly. And the big thing that stuck out to me last night is Nurkic played under control. Remember a year ago where he's not even looking at the rim seemingly with a bunch of these flip shots that he's throwing up. He was making real basketball moves. Basketball moves that you can replicate night in and night out. Now, is he going to be able to do that against Gobert, Embiid, Anthony Davis? Nah. And and you know what? I don't fault him for that at all. Very few guys can get off against those elite defensive big men with the huge wingspan. But against basically 24 out of the 30 teams in the league, he's going to be able to do that. It was Yusuf Nurkic's best game of the year, and I'm looking for him to repeat it tomorrow. You know, big picture with this guy, 24 years old. He's in his fifth NBA season, currently averaging just a tick over 14 points a game. Last year, he averaged 14.3 points. This year, he's currently averaging 14.3 points. In his first uh, 20 games with the Trailblazers, he averaged over 15 points a game, so about a point per game more. You know, what do the Blazers need out of him post-Christmas in order to prove us all wrong, prove us that they can still be, you know, a home court advantage type of team. Because if they're going to get a top four seed, which I think is still possible, it's going to take guys like Nurkic to go from 14.3 a game. And, you know, he's still averaging double digit rebounds per game, which is awesome. But go from 14 and 3 and 10 to go to like 16 and 12, right? It, it's completely outside of his control. Look at his shooting percentage. He's having his best year. He needs to get the ball more. Ooh, okay. I mean, th- more th- th- that's the bottom line. It, yeah. is he, He's shooting a higher percentage even during the Nurk fever run, 
And, I mean, we, we know how effective he was for the Blazers. Then he's doing all the things that he needs to do most of the time. He's always going to have that those inconsistent nights. But I need C.J. McCollum to take a few less shots. I mean, look, C.J. came up big last night. He had the quick seven points late in the game. But the whole game I was watching, C.J. was a black hole. And... I know that he doesn't have the vision that Dame has to, to to move the ball around, to find guys underneath. He's got to share the ball a little bit more. They've got to get Nurkic in the pick and roll a little bit more. Maybe even in the post a little bit. I'm fine with him only posting him up two, three, maybe four times a game because he's not a great post player. But he's devastating in the pick and roll, the pick and pop, the way he finds guys. They've got to find a way to get him more involved. Yeah, CJ with the 24 points, but 7 of 22 from the floor. That's uh, worse than Lillard by a couple of misses as well. So big one for the Trailblazers, 110 to 109. What does this mean for Terry Stott's legacy in Portland? He just passed Rick Adelman for second most victories by a Blazers head coach all time. Now with uh, 292 passing Coach Adelman and now just trails the... uh, Legendary Dr. Jack Ramsey, who's had a comfy 453 <laughs> career victories in Rip City. This is Terry Stotts on passing Rick Adelman. To be sandwiched between uh, Jack Ramsey and, and Rick Adelman, two coaches that I really have always admired. For Rick, a lot of the offensive stuff that I believe in, I kind of copied from him and took from him. And I, I think both those guys are Hall of Fame coaches. I think Rick should be in the Hall of Fame at some point. So being that company is um, very honored. So Dr. Jack's the GOAT. Who's the second best coach in Blazers history? I think it's still got to be Rick Adelman just because he made the finals twice. Now, granted, he had much better personnel than Terry Stotts has worked with, but Stotts is up there. He's up there, and it's amazing. When he was hired, I went, who? The guy that was in Milwaukee and and coached Michael Red, the guy that was in Atlanta for a little bit? I know he was the, the Dallas offensive coordinator. Really? That guy? And he's made lemonade out of lemons season after season after season. And just because he hasn't been able to make a deep run because he doesn't have the personnel doesn't mean that he's not a stellar coach. So is he a solid three? I, I believe so, yeah. Better than Nate? Oh, infinitely. Credit where credit is due. I only say that because who's the longest tenured coach in Blazers history? Nate McMillan. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything, though. Well, I guess Ramsey is technically. Ramsey was yeah. eight years, and, and McMillan was, or Ramsey was nine, and McMillan was eight years. Yeah, Mc- five hundred thirty-five wins. McMillan was completely inflexible when he was the Blazers' coach. The offense was stagnant. He got bailed out by Brandon Roy. The offense was Steve Blake brings it up, passes to Brandon, and everyone goes stand and stands in the corner. And that was before a lot of people understood advanced metrics too. Everyone's like, "Oh, this Blazers team is great defensively, just like Nate McMillan was." No, they weren't. They just played the slowest pace in the league by far. It was it was boring basketball. They won some games, but if you're not a fan of the Blazers, it was brutal to watch. And he's improved so much in Indiana, but nah, Nate doesn't get the nod. Where does uh, Kevin Pritchard fall on best head coaches? Technically, he went 5-22. and 22. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, he, he, he took the end of the season. He's, he's probably right there with Caleb Canales. Yeah, Caleb, shout out. Mike Dunleavy's got to be up there too, right? It, who's better, Dunleavy or Terry Stotts? Terry Stotts. Really? Dun- Dunleavy had so much talent. Now, granted, you well, got to manage a lot of egos there, and it worked really? for a while. <laughs> That's, a hard, That's a hard job, man. That's well, a he hard had a job. tough he job. Was, he was one quarter away from the finals himself. Yeah, but Terry but, Stotts ain't got close to that. But look at that team. You had Detlef Shrimp as the tenth man on your roster. Yeah, loaded. There was crazy talent there. I have that, to give the nod to Terry Stotts ooh, over man, Dunleavy. I don't, I don't know. To me, that's a tough call. I think it's a tough call because I think what he did with those 
those players to get them, you know, that you like you said, ego. It wasn't just ego. It was attitude. <laughs> and, di- and did he actually do that? Think of Rashid throwing the towel in Sabonis' face. Think of Ruben Patterson sucker punching Zach Randolph. I would say maybe he didn't totally succeed. Uh, or maybe he, he did. Uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, we'll leave it up to you. 503-417-7575. Who is the better Blazers coach in history, Mike Dunleavy or Terry Stotts? Uh, it's a good one. It's a good conversation. Also, your pick for the Red Box Bowl and the college football semifinals. Neil Lomax, the college football Hall of Famer and longtime NFL veteran quarterback. He will join the program coming up at 1 o'clock. Tyson Alger of The Athletic, live from San Francisco and Red Box Bowl Media Day, is at 1.30. We'll also play Punch It Audio bring you the latest news and notes from around the country, including previewing Week 17 in the NFL. Will Marcus Mariota be healthy enough to play Sunday night football in a winner-take-all in the AFC South, Colts and Titans? Just underway on a Friday BFT. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. I want your pick and prediction for the Red Box Bowl New Year's Eve at noon. Does Oregon get it done? Two point favorites going down to San Francisco. Oregon, however, riding a three game bowl losing streak. Last bowl game the Ducks won, taking down Jamison Company fifty nine to twenty in that uh, all memorable Rose Bowl in that college football playoff national semifinal. But that's the last time the Ducks won a bowl game. Meanwhile, Michigan State coming in on a pretty hot streak for bowl games themselves, including uh, they have won every bowl game in which they have played since the 2011 season, except for the 38 nothing shutout thrashing to uh, Roll Tide just a couple of years ago. That being said, Michigan State knows how to win in the postseason, and Oregon, recent history would dictate that they do not know how to win in the postseason. And uh, Mario Cristobal's first bowl game last year did not go particularly well. Now it was a chaotic time, but he's hoping to restore some order and you get a victory in the Red Box Bowl. Should be a good game. I'm not sure that Oregon wins, to be quite honest. I'm not sure of that. Michigan State's defense is very, very good. Junior Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, continuing a discussion that we had in the first segment as well. Terry Stotts just passed Rick Adelman for second most victories all time for Trailblazers coaches. And we start to bring up the question, where does Terry Stotts then rank among all-time great Trailblazers coaches, given the number of victories that he has? 400, or uh, excuse me, 292. And I misspoke earlier. I think I said Nate McMillan won 535 games. No. no. He coached in 535 games. He won 266 of them. And I should have known that because Terry uh, passed him very recently for... Um, for that mark on the all-time wins for Blazers history. Mike Dunleavy did not win as many games as Coach Stotts. He won 190 games from 1997 to 2001, but he had a loaded roster, generally speaking. And, you know, loaded's probably not the right word. He had a great roster. Uh, Loaded might be the exact (laughs) right word. Don't read into that. Sean Kemp, baby. I know. And he won the 1998-99 NBA Coach of the Year, did Mike Dunleavy. Terry Stotts, as we know, has never come close to ever winning NBA Coach of the Year. Now, a lot of that is dictated by team success, and a lot of team success is dictated by team roster, and he has little to no control over his roster. And you could argue he's coaching in a much more difficult NBA landscape than Mike Dunleavy did, even though the Lakers had you know Kobe and Shaq. Yeah, Stotts got robbed that first year after Aldridge left when the Blazers were the over-under on wins was 27, and he, and he took him to 44 wins. 
he really, really deserved consideration that year. He yeah. didn't win. I want to say he finished third. I don't I don't have it in front of me. But uh, Terry Stotts, I said it before, I'll say it again, lemonade out of lemons. This is a team that was supposed that tried to tear down and tank. And they're saying, you know, Neil O'Shea has said, well, the city of Portland won't tolerate tanking. We're not going to do that. Yes, you are. That's what you tried to do. Damian Lillard is just too good. Terry Stotts just did too good a job for this organization to tank for three or four years. Yeah, and in 2016, I think he finished runner-up in the NBA Coach of yep. the Year voting to Steve Kerr. Now, it was Steve Kerr. See, that's the thing. You know, that that's a point in Terry Stotts' favor. Yes, Dunleavy has a Coach of the Year. Stotts was runner-up in a season that the freaking Warriors had, you know, a, a near super team. Now, I don't think that they had Durant in 2016, right? Correct. 17 was the first year with KD, but he still got Steph, Clay, Andre, Draymond, this was the year that Kerr was able to bring Iggy off the bench mm-hmm. in a six-man role, and that kind of got him the win. Bobby, it, it's pretty close right now. Stotts versus Dunleavy. I think you are siding on the Dunleavy side, right? Well, I just want to say something about Stotts. Yeah. I know he's <clears throat> made lemonade out of lemons, but I don't know if he can take a team to a championship. He might be able to take some players and, and make them play above their ability level and get them to the place that they need to go as far as the playoffs. But can he take them over the top? There's a lot of coaches out there, a lot of professions that can take players and get them to a certain point, and then they bring in that coach that can take them over the top. Right. And it happens all the time. It does happen all the time. I would argue that Dunleavy couldn't get his roster over the top. There's no excuse for that team not making the finals. Oh, see, now that's where you're going with that. Is that where you're going to go with that? Because I'm not sure. Because I'm not sure you can exactly say that he didn't take that team over the top. Because I mean, that team was a difficult. You you put a lot of coaches there. They would have folded like a freaking chair. Look, I'll tell you this: <laughs> if they if they win that fourth quarter, or if they you know. Just do an average job of that fourth quarter. They sweep the Pacers. They sweep those Pacers, man. You look at freaking Rick Smith's freaking Reggie Miller, Jalen Rose. That team ain't competing. Nope. I mean, that was a terrible NBA Finals with the Lakers. Portland's going to win that. I mean, and but how much is Dunleavy culpable for not getting him to that point? It's just one bad quarter, seven games against Kobe Shaq and Big Shot Bob and Fish. Yeah. That's it, a tough, I mean, he got him to that point. I, I know I'm cracking on Dunleavy a little bit. He's he's not culpable for that quarter. Shots just stopped falling. It, it, you know, the, the players tightened up. It, I don't put that on Dunleavy specifically. Hey, I just don't think he did enough. Uh, Terry, Terry Stotts has done more with less. He has done more with less. I would agree with that. Is that the ultimate barometer of being a better coach? You could argue that it is. But then again, this team's lost 10 straight playoff games. That's true. Right? So at what point does... I mean, if NBA coaching's about adjustments and making lemonade out of lemons, how do you lose four straight to a team seated lower than you? Now, I'm not in the, I'm not bifurcating today. Okay, no bifurcating going there on. There you go. You can't I do like that. It. You think Dunleavy would lose 10 straight playoff games? No. With this roster? Absolutely. No. Think so? No. Yeah, no. without a doubt. So no. so first round against Warriors. That. Okay, what would Dunleavy have done? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What would Dunleavy have done against the Pelicans? With Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum being guarded by Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, and then Anthony freaking Davis as the help man. What adjustment is there? Who do you put in for Al Farouk Aminu to just brick threes? You'd get Ruben Patterson to sucker punch Rondo. <laughs> That's right. There you go. And, uh, You'd get somebody on uh, the Pelicans to get a double T and and get out. Some Draymond type of thing would happen. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure how it would be done, but that's the thing. Like When you're talking about great coaches and what they are good and good at, you you have to have faith that they would get it done because they have before. I think Dunleavy would have found a way to steal a couple, especially on your home floor. How? 
I don't know, but he, <laughs> but that, I, he probably would. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that Terry Stotts would have lost four in a row. He, he did. There's a reason this team hit, sticks the over on wins every year. You're it's putting not it all a on very the players. good roster. You're putting it all on the players. It is. It's The ma- great majority Neil, is on the players. <laughs> Who had the better executive above them? Probably Mike. Oh, yeah. It's got to be as Mike. Far, yeah, as far as a uh, aggressive, don't care what kind of player I'm getting outside of the ball, you know, outside of the court. They didn't care. All they cared about was getting the best player that yeah. could play on the court. And it worked until it did. Yeah. Like, it worked. Yeah, it did. Although I will say, I mean, to your point, Dunleavy had to work with a lot of egos and a lot of factors that he couldn't control in terms of personalities. Like, he probably never slept a wink at night. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. so Witsit was his GM, and uh, Mark Warkentine was the assistant mm-hmm. GM at the time. And to be to be fair, they from a strictly talent perspective, yeah, they gave Dunleavy a lot more to work with oh, than absolutely. Neil has given Terry. But it was a different NBA landscape back then too. Yeah. You have to think about that. I mean, you could you could sit there and as much as you think that Terry Stotts could work with that Jailblazer team, I would argue that that he might not do as well as Dunleavy with that Jailblazer team. It is possible, though. The, the, you know, it, it's hard to prove a negative, right? But I think Terry Stotts. As a player's coach, giving players the freedom, his whole thing is if it's open, there's no bad shot. I don't run plays. I run sets. Get your own look. It's as close as you can get to rolling the ball out there and just letting them play, setting the culture, setting the tempo, setting everything in practice. That would work, I believe, with a team that's as stacked as that in, say, 99-2000 team. You get a guy like Nate McMillan, or at least when McMillan was was uh, no. the Blazers coach, it, w- it would fall apart before training camp was even over. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Do you think that there's uh, kids that are going to be long-time, long-life Blazer fans that are growing up right now watching this team? Because I think, yeah. like, in the 90s, like, that's when I was growing up. That's how I fell in love with the Blazers. Even in the Memorial Day Miracle, even mm-hmm. with the Western Conference Finals Game 7, even with all the heartbreak, that's how I fell in love with the Blazers. Even with all the terrible people on that team, that's how I fell in love with the Blazers. The, the, this era of Blazer basketball is not going to win big to the level that the Blazers of the early 90s and late 90s turn of the century did. But does winning big matter? It's just having guys, the like the likability factor that we said yesterday, the Dames, the CJs, the Yusufs, that's enough to grow another generation of Blazer fans. It is, and that's why uh, they're concerned with filling seats and being fun and not necessarily winning. I mean, look, the the Blazers teams I fell in love with were not, it was, we're talking Darnell Valentine and and Jim (laughs) Paxson, you know, in the mid-80s, nothing really great. But uh, just have just being able to cheer for your team, having them be likable, having them be entertaining, they win some games that maybe they shouldn't, they lose some games that they shouldn't. The big thing we are we are creating new Blazers fans right now. I, I see it every time I go to the arena. I see the kids there going crazy. But ultimately, I think as much as I'm a as much as I'm a sticking up for Terry Stotts here, you know, five to ten years from now, we're going to look back at this era and go, "That was fun. We wasted Damian Lillard." We might be saying that. We might be saying that. Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, Judah Newby here on the BFT on a Friday. 503-417-7575 if you want to chime in on this. Coming up, we'll change uh, transition a little bit and talk about the upcoming college football playoff semifinal matchups this weekend, including in the Cotton Bowl, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on the Clemson Tigers, the Orange Bowl is Oklahoma and Alabama. Who wins those matchups and why? Is this a good playoff field for college football? We'll talk about that. Plus, Neil Lomax at 1 o'clock, and we go live to San Francisco with Tyson Alger of The Athletic at 1.30 is the BFT. 
Clock Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer. He will join the BFT. Jude and newbie Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for JC today. JC will be back again next week post-holiday, post-Red Box Bowl, post-College Football National Semifinals, which are going down tomorrow, including in the Cotton Bowl at 1 o'clock on the Mothership. Third-ranked Notre Dame takes on second-ranked Clemson and the Orange Bowl to follow 5 o'clock number 4 Oklahoma and number 1 Alabama in the Tua versus Kyler Bowl. If you want to have a prediction on that, you can at 503-417-7575. We're breaking down those matchups right now as well. First of all, let's just start here. Which is the more intriguing matchup of the two to you? Irish Tigers or Boomer Sooner Roll Tide? You want me to go? (laughs) You know what? The most intriguing player is the quarterback for Oklahoma for me to watch. The most intriguing matchup is to me is the Irish against Clemson. So I, you know, I, I think the the game could be very interesting. Alabama, Oklahoma. I want to see if Alabama's defense can can hold down the quarterback. I, I I don't know. We'll see. But I'm actually looking forward to seeing how good every year we run into this with Notre Dame because they don't play in a league and they have to judge their wins based off USC, Stanford, uh, Syracuse games that. You know, Syracuse without Eric Dungy for yeah, three quarters. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard for me to see how, you know, to judge and look at them and go, they're this good or they're, you know, it, this is really going to be a test for them. So this is going to be a test for all of us that are watching the game that don't get to watch them as much or I don't watch them as much. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree, especially the the Alabama defensive question. Man, the over under for this game is 77. Oh, Juicy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's pretty wild. You know, Notre Dame, we don't know a ton about them. I don't see them being able to hang with Clemson. Obviously, Clemson, they that kid, the the kid on the the defensive side of the ball who failed his uh secondary test, right. his drug test, they're going to be missing him. That's going to hurt. Ultimately, I don't think that Notre Dame is going to be able to hang with Clemson, but again, we don't really know. We don't have a lot to go on. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I, to me, though, the quarterbacks in Oklahoma, Alabama, it, it's it's going to be a must-watch football every single play. You think about Kyler Murray and Tua, they lead the country in total QBR this season. Kyler at 96, Tua at 94 too. What do you think is the most likely scenario in Bama, Oklahoma? Is it a Bama blowout? Bama in a close one? Oklahoma in a close one? Or Oklahoma blowout win. I think we could throw away the last one. Oklahoma's not blowing out Alabama. Right. That's not going to happen. But what do you think is most likely? Bama blowing them out or Bama in a close one? Bama blowing them out. Really? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. If Tua comes in and he's more than 80%, uh, I don't even, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm just intrigued by the, the matchup with Murray, but I, I really don't think Oklahoma's going to hang with Alabama. I don't care who's quarterbacking. Well, I'll be honest with I you. I think part of the problem is Oklahoma defensively. Yeah, they, they're they, terrible. They can't stop anybody through the air or on the ground. So even Tua at 90% is going to shred and smoke that defense like nobody's business. That's exactly right. I I, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout, but I, I like Alabama I don't know, by 14, 17, somewhere around there. I don't think they're going to just take Oklahoma to the woodshed, but I don't see this being particularly close. Yeah, and look, I wonder if Jalen Hurts gets in. 
Does Jalen Hurts get into this game because it's a blowout? Yes. Probably, right? Yes. And he gets a little swan song. So, Bama, we got them cruising into the national championship game as per usual. Clemson-Notre Dame. Bobby, I know you think it's going to be a closer one as well. I agree. I don't see this one getting out of hand, even though Notre Dame has not uh, the best, like, victories, the most impressive victories on their schedule. They still got all dubs. And there's something to be said for winning a lot of close games, especially even that USC game. When USC had five wins last game of the season, Saturday night, which, by the way, was the most watched college football game of the regular season. I did not know that. Yeah, I saw that uh, Wilner had it from Mercury News. Shout out, John. But, uh, yeah, most watched college football game of the regular season. It was ABC primetime, Notre Dame-USC. So it all makes sense, even though USC isn't uh, a great team. They were stuck on five wins. They were fighting for bowl eligibility. They were fighting for Clay Helton's job. The USC defense was playing out of their minds for about two and a half quarters. And then Notre Dame said, all right, that's enough. And they started making plays all over the place. It was Ian Book through the air. It was through their running game as well. They were turning over JT Daniels. And those kind of games, even though USC is not an elite opponent, those kind of games tell me that Notre Dame knows how to win in versatile ways. And therefore, I think they stay close in this game. I think they cover the spread. But it does look like Clemson is just too elite. And talk about freshman quarterbacks all over the place. Trevor Lawrence, this dude is a playmaker for Clemson. And you think of how he took over the reins for the injured Kelly Bryant, who ends up transferring to Mizzou. I mean, Kelly, I mean, I will, I want to watch every snap of both of these games just for the quarterback talent. And that's refreshing to say because you can't say that every year in college football. Especially with Alabama. I mean, right. I know they got Tua. And I know, but normally they have a really generic quarterback that fills in. You know, they're they're solid. They're a really top top level defense, and they they have a good running game and a quarterback that doesn't screw it up. Yeah, that's Bla- the Blake path. Sims. You know, Blake Barnett who transferred to UCF. You remember uh, McElroy, who's a great analyst now, but none of these Bama quarterbacks, aside from Namath, did anything in the NFL, right? So you got to go back a ways. But I think Tua is one of those guys who could actually do it. I want to ask Neil Lomax about Tua a little bit as well, because there's a perception around him being a left-handed quarterback that that would be a detriment for him at the next level. I'm not sure why, other than we just don't see a lot of great left-handed quarterbacks. And even a guy like Mike Vick, left-handed, but... His asset wasn't necessarily his arm. It was his legs making plays. So we'll see if Neil can reveal any uh, more insight on that as well. So you, you guys got Bama Clemson? That's what I have. That's what I have, yeah. I, Irish cover the plus nine? Yes. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page. Does that mean that something crazy is about to happen? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think that's true. If you want to chime in as well with your call, you can at 503-417-7575 and tweet at 1029thegame. We're going to give you a big splash coming up. Neil Lomax to lead off hour number two. Plus, we'll give our predictions for Ducks, Michigan State, and go live to San Francisco at 1.30. And uh, just added another guest to the program. Barton Simmons will join us coming up in the final hour as well. He's uh, an advanced scout for 24-7 sports. He'll break down the college football playoff for us as well. He'll join us in hour number three. This is the BFT. You know, I did did forget one Alabama quarterback that was pretty good. He was snaky good. Oh. Do you know who I'm talking about? I might have an idea. Snaky good. <clears throat> Mr. Stabler. Mr. Stabler. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Charlie in Vancouver who uh, 
was getting at me and, and reminded me of that. The, right on the money, yes. Uh, Kenny Stabler, the snake himself. The original snake. No offense to Jake, the snake plumber. Or but, Kevin Durant. Or Kevin Durant. <laughs> Different kind of snake, no question. No question. But uh, Kenny was pretty pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, we got a... We got a big splash that's going to be real juicy coming up here in a moment. Neil Lomax joins us in six minutes as well. College Football Hall of Famer talking about this big uh, Ducks-Michigan State game. He's a co-host with myself here on the BFT Radio Network flagship on Saturdays and Duck Game Days. So we'll be breaking down Ducks Sparty coming up New Year's Eve morning and post game as well. So looking forward to that. We go live to San Francisco at 1.30 with Tyson Alger of The Athletic and Barton Simmons, National College Football Writer of CBS Sports, joins us in the final hour as well. But uh, let's uh, dive into the pool here, Bobby. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash! It comes in a seven-word package. Damian Lillard is a Hall of Famer. A quote, a direct quote from none other than the snake himself, Kevin Durant. This coming last night after Damian Lillard hit the game winner in overtime to send the Blazers over the Golden State Warriors 110-109. 21 points for Dame, ripping out victory from the jaws of defeat. Doing so in his hometown of Oakland, California. Doing so in the Blazers' likely final game at Oracle Arena before the Warriors move across the bay to San Francisco. KD says, quote, Damian Lillard is a Hall of Famer. Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, that's high praise from uh, a very talented professional in KD. Yeah, I mean, and barring something crazy with injury or anything like that, he's right. I mean, he is. You look at the numbers, uh, all-star appearances don't really matter. Those accolades don't really matter, but he is starting to rack them up, and maybe he doesn't have a ton of all-star appearances just because you look at how stacked the guard position is in the West over the last six, seven years. But, I mean, you look at the scoring averages. You look at what he's doing in his prime right now, 26, 27 points a game, first-team All-NBA. He's putting up Hall of Fame numbers. He's got to keep it going for a little while longer, but there's no doubt in my mind that if he maintains his prime for three, four more years, it's going to happen. Three-time NBA All-Star, first-teamer on the All-NBA. That's a big one, man. If you can get those first-team nods, that's an exceptional group, and he got that last year. Yeah, if he can continue it, I agree with Peter. All he has to do is do it for another four four years and uh, same numbers. Uh, continue the stats, continue the accolades and, and uh, you know, production that he's doing now. And I think, yeah, he's got it. Okay. I mean, what, what about the legacy conversation we keep having with him? Because the legacy conversation has two branches. It's got team success. It's got personal success. If he can continue, you know, thriving in the personal success branch of his legacy, is that enough for him to never, ever want to leave Portland? I mean, we mentioned it earlier this week to where, you know, he's going to be 30. The Blazers would have, would not have won anything big by that time, in all likelihood. Is that the point where he looks up, looks around, and says, for my legacy, I need to go win big, and in order to do it, I need to do it somewhere else than Rip City. But if he continues getting these personal accolades, getting the, the rep from KD saying he's a Hall of Famer right now at age 28, does that even give him the – does he have the appetite to demand team success by moving elsewhere? I don't know if he does. Uh, I – I know that he demands team success, and again, when he says, I have no intention of leaving, I don't want to leave, I want to take the tough road, I believe him. 
I do believe him. It's just things can change. He only gets one career, and at a certain point, he's going to look around and be like, man, I didn't get any help. And I asked for help. He's been openly recruiting players on Twitter, online, trying to get Mello here, lobbying for Paul George, trying to get all these guys here. Nothing's getting done. I don't know that he's going to leave. I just, it wouldn't surprise me, and I wouldn't blame him. It would be a very different reaction than think when LaMarcus Aldridge left, and everyone was like, oh, that traitor. He said he wanted to be here, and then he bounced. Damian Lillard, it'd be for very different reasons. I mean, if Damian Lillard wanted to go, would you blame him? No, I wouldn't blame him, but I, I don't think he goes as long as Terry's here and as long as Neil's here. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that uh, one of the things that happens if he goes, if he was to go to another team with an all-star, especially some place like the Lakers, and you have those numbers are gone. Those numbers are no longer there, mm. and he might get it. He might get a championship. That's why you see a lot of all-stars that What's are he averaging the, right now the, career the, like twenty-three. The elite, elite all-stars, the elite, the top five players in the league. One of the reasons when you're when you're at your prime, you don't play with them, is because those numbers that you have are not going to be the same. That's why you get a lot of guys on the way down from their career go play at a place that they can win a championship. Yeah, often. I mean, but, what, but, what's going on in Golden State? Well, and is, those guys are still getting first team nods. Yeah, you know, you know. But Kevin Durant is a top five player. I'm not talking about a top five player. I'm talking about top so Steph 20. Curry. I'm, yeah, and I'm talking about a top twenty five player. Do you go play with a, a, a elite all star if you're if you're at a place like Portland, that you are the man. Yeah. yeah. He's averaging 26-7 a game right now. For his career, he's averaging 23. 23.4 points a game. So, you know, probably a lot of Hall of Famers that have averaged 23.4, but... Yeah, yeah. The thing that's really going to help him too—it's not just the numbers, but it's the legacy of being a big shot guy. Neil Lomax joins us coming up in about 90 seconds. We'll talk Duck Spartans in the Red Box Bowl and a whole lot of college football up ahead. Hour two of the BFT coming up. John Canzano, raw, source, fresh. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, built by high caliber millwrights. This is the bald-faced truth. Hour two of the BFT on the BFT Radio Network on a pleasant Friday. A little bit of uh, inclement weather out here in Portland Metro. Nothing nothing the true Oregon natives can't fight off. <laughs> and one of those true Oregon natives, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of the Portland area, He's a college football Hall of Famer. He's an NFL veteran quarterback. He went to two Pro Bowls in the NFL, going both times with Joe Montana. He's a co-host with myself on Oregon Duck Game Days for Countdown to Kickoff in the Oregon College Football Post Game Show as well. He is Neil Lomax joining us on the BFT. Neil, how are you, my friend? Judah, happy new year. Merry Christmas. You doing good? Doing good, man. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. I missed you. Well, to yeah, be quite you got, honest, you got Peter. You got Peter Sampson there and Bobby, the three-headed monsters <laughs> running that studio. What? What more can you want, dude? It's, it's a good time, but uh, you know, I actually have to use your headphones right now because because mine's shorted out. But I promise, I'll, I'll get I'll get yours to you again on Monday. They'll be nice and. That's uh, right. those, those are some extra large headphones to fill. Come on now. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Hey, um, you know, you look at this Oregon Ducks Michigan State game and and we're going to be talking about this as well, but 
Oregon is a two-point favorite right now. But let's start with the news earlier this week, Neil, that Justin Herbert announced he will return for his senior season at the University of Oregon. Uh, Were you surprised at all by that? What was your reaction when you heard that news? Yeah, I was was a little surprised uh, just based on the fact that I think as you get older and we get older and my view from different levels gets more selfish, and that's the nature of that game now. I mean, to me, college football has become, you know, such a big business the last 10, 15, 20 years that you have an opportunity to go and accomplish your dream. And that, to me, when I was a young kid and played in college, you want to play pro. You want to be in the NFL and play with the best and be on the best and, and get paid like the best. And he has an opportunity to do that. He's choosing not to do it right away and this year and, forego that opportunity and go back to college and play. And uh, it's, you know what, on the, on the flip side, again, you know, it's admirable. It's most unselfish. It's great for Oregon. Um, what a great positive thing for Coach Cristobal, the whole program, that a guy like Justin Herbert will forego a chance to be a top 10, top 15 pick, number maybe the second, third quarterback overall, to play another year. Uh, it, so it was surprising, but then again, Guys who know Justin and on Team Herbert probably aren't surprised. From a talent and a skill set standpoint, you've watched a lot of Justin Herbert as well. We've watched a lot of them together this season. You know, what stands out about his current skill set that he probably needs the most work on before he's quote-unquote NFL ready? Well, you can never put a price tag on experience and game experience, so that's what he's going to uh, – definitely get as he plays in the last game of, uh, you know, 2018. But to me, this is the starting point of 2019. This is the stamp on what are they going to look like going forward. And so this game means a lot. And it's another game. It's another big-time game on ESPN, New Year's Eve. And he's going to showcase not just his body work, but more importantly, what Oregon's going to look like in the future. Um, a lot of young guys are still going to play in this game and are foregoing their opportunity to play in the pros. So it's a big, you know, it's a big coup for Mario Cristobal, uh, the Duck football program. It's been such a positive spin the last 15, 30 days of their recruiting class, what, top five, you know, in the nation. Guys staying and playing, Jell and Jelks, all these. I mean, there's been such a positive vibe the last 15, 30 days. I hope that really you know, comes to fruition when we watch him play on Monday. Does Marcus Royo and Mario Cristobal need to have a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, in terms of their offensive philosophy in order to not have the same offensive struggles next year that they had this year, knowing that they're going to have their star quarterback coming back? You know, I, I don't think they went to Justin go, okay, Justin, we'll let you throw 10 more times a game if you stay. That, that, that's not what they did. It's the philosophy, it's the culture that they've created there that Justin has decided, I, this is, again, his body of work. He's very unselfish. It's about the team. It's not about him. I want to take Oregon to a national championship. I want to take Oregon to the Pac-12 championship game next year. We did not accomplish the team goals, and I personally did not accomplish one of my individual goals. So I want to make sure that happens, and I'm going to stay and try to do that, try to fulfill those goals next year. But most importantly, I, I think for Justin's mindset is the unselfish part of his attitude, his character. That speaks about his integrity. It's not about Marcus Arroyo and, oh, oh, oh hey, yeah, we'll spread it out more. We'll, we'll give you ten more throws. It's not about that. 
It's about him deciding this is the best for Oregon, the best for the, the, the program, the university, if I stay. And then bottom line, maybe third or fourth, it's the best for me to get some more work in, get some more experience in, and then go on and play in the NFL. And uh, I think those intangibles against Judah are what makes this guy very admirable and a, a guy that you just, you just want to root for. You know, he's a lot like Marcus Mario. He's very unselfish. And, man, it's one of those guys you come man, I, I, I love watching the guy play because of those attributes. Yeah, but that's that's why you want to root for him to be successful at the next level, Neil. And and fifty nine percent completion percentage this year, that's not good enough, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? I mean, wouldn't you want to see a, a few more more easy completions in his senior season? Well, that that goes with what they were like running the ball a little more, and and he was at you know, Judah. When we covered the Ducks, and we've been doing it every week for twelve, thirteen weeks, you know, we fell in love with 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 not just him, but Dylan Mitchell and. C.J. Bardell and their style, and then we started criticizing it on the running game and play calling, and, you know, we can go off the, the grid on talking about all that. Um, I don't think the, the passing percentage is what you're looking at. I think just the body of work, again, that, I know that's an overused statement, but that's what the NFL scouts that other coaches look at, Justin Herbert, and he brings much more to his playing ability to just completing pass. I mean, third down convert. All that, all those stats kind of went down the last three or four weeks of the season, and that was based on some injuries. And that, I think, this game is so important because this is the footprint, what they look like going for, further. We're talking to College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax on the Bald Face Truth in the BFT Radio Network. Neil, uh, if you can speak to the relationship of the offensive line and the quarterback better than you can as well, not only is Herbert coming back. But you've got left tackle Panay Sewell coming off the injury. He's playing in the Red Box Bowl, and he'll obviously be healthy as a sophomore going into next season. Today, you had left guard Shane Lemieux just announced that he'll return as well for his senior season. Yesterday, you had center Jake Hansen announce he'll return for his senior season. Dallas Warmack at right guard battled through injuries, but he'll come back as a senior, as will Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle. Can you speak just to how important that is for the entire O-line to come back, as well as Justin Herbert? It's, it's incredible to think that uh, those five guys who've been together for two or three years, you know, Panay Sewell, I think that was a huge loss for the Ducks, having him go out at that, that blindside left tackle position. But no, it's a uh, I think that might have had a lot to do with Justin's decision. That, man, all my boys are coming back. They appreciate me. I appreciate them. We're a family. And that's that bond. It's the bond to brother kind of thing that you won't get in the pros. You will not get that three- to four-year chemistry uh, when you leave college. You'll, you'll miss those kind of guys. There's something special about college. Yeah, I still say it is kind of semi-pros. But then again, you'll lose that because the business trip you'll go on as a pro is much more different, much more, I think, in a lot of ways, frustrating um, because you're not in control of a lot of things. But having those five guys back, Judah, no question, huge for not just Justin, but the running game. I mean, think about what they can do again with the running game with those talented backs they have. Travis Dye, CJ, it's incredible to have those five guys back. It's going to make them a really fun team to watch. And it's going to have a lot of you know value for Monday against Michigan State because, Neil, Michigan State, the best team in FBS in rush defense, just allowing a tick over 80 yards rushing per game. You just don't, Teams don't run for 100 yards on Sparty, but 
here's the first test for this offensive line again with Sewell to Throckmorton across the board and, of course, the freshman running backs, Die and Verdell. When you look at the Ducks versus Sparty matchup with Oregon offensively against Sparty defensively, boy, you know, something's got to give there. Yeah, and that, that's kind of that Big Ten mentality. You know, those teams, that's, they battle out seven, eight weeks. That's kind of the same, the same kind of teams, the running game in Michigan's and Northwesterns and, you know, Ohio State. You know, that's just the way they are in the Big Ten. I think they're going to come to a surprise when you see an Oregon team that can actually spread it and run it. Um, and that's the key. They're going to spread you out, only have four, five, six guys in the box, and have the threat of throwing the ball instead of having two tight ends, two backs, the fullback. Uh, it's a different animal, but, you know, Coach D'Antonio has been there a long time. You know, Judy, you and I were talking about this in week one. I think he's one of three three coaches that have been at their programs for, what, more than 12, 13, 14 years. Right, and uh, Whittingham's pretty, among there, too, yeah. Yeah, pretty incredible run that you can keep that philosophy and culture the same for all those years. And their culture there is, hey, man, we're going to smash mouth you. We're going to stop the run, play great defense and try to score 20, 22 points and win the game. Well, you know what? And that a guy like D'Antonio, to me, is the epitome of toughness and just hard-nosed ball. And, you know, he can maximize a lot of success in his program with less on his roster by implementing that philosophy. It makes me worried a little bit from a Duck perspective. You know, last year against Boise State, they got dominated in the trenches and it ended up being 38-28, and it shouldn't have even been that close because Oregon had defensive scores by Troy Dye and Tyree Robinson in that game. It's going to be another trench war, another physical war. Are the Ducks more equipped now than they were at this point last year? But they're, they're taking on a much more high-caliber opponent in that regard. Yeah, and that's the attitude that, that falls on the concern of the coaches to get their attitude and their effort pumped up as they made their trip down there already. It's kind of a home game. I mean, it's an hour-and-a-half flight down to Santa Clara. You know, the Ducks are favored. To me, should be favored more than two points. Uh, I just think across the board, talent-wise, having all the guys stay. And more importantly, have all the guys healthy. I mean, we talked about offensively, even defensively. We've got some linebackers back. Corner, they're, they're healthy. They're healthy going to this bowl game. It's an attitude thing, and that relies on – we'll see how Coach Cristobal can get that mentality that he had really during the Civil War. I mean, you and I and the rest of us were pretty shocked how they, they smashed mouth and just absolutely dominated that game against the Beavs, running wise, without a Justin Herbert. So now they have him. I expect a lot of points from Oregon. I expect them to have no problem beating Michigan State in Santa Clara on Monday. Lomax is on the board. He likes the Ducks. How about the 2019 season? We've been talking a lot about what expectations should be, given all the personnel coming back. Obviously, Dylan Mitchell and Troy Dye still at large. They have yet to make their final decisions whether or not they'll turn pro or return. But, Neil, from a schedule standpoint, they open week one against Auburn. There will there will be road games at Washington, at Stanford, and at USC. It's a much tougher schedule on paper next year than it was this year that produced eight regular season wins. What should the standard be for the Ducks in 2019? Is it a Pac-12 title? I definitely think that's the bar right away just for the Pac-12. I mean, that opening game, you, you, you're right, and Auburn is actually, what, just kicking butt today against a Big Ten team. We don't have to talk about that score. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it is crazy. It's almost like Army and Houston. It's, it's <laughs> unbelievable sometimes how these matchups go south in these bowl games, and that's why it is about attitude. But I, I just think the positive spin going forward now, Judah, what we've seen the last 15, 30 days through December, 
It's been a great Christmas for Oregon Duck fans of the recruiting class, having these linemen stay, having a lot of these other players stay. And then you have your star quarterback announced he's coming back. And in the way he did it, you know, in the way he did it, very class, very unselfish. It just speaks volumes of, I think, the coaching staff, too, why these players maybe want to stay. So you got to give Coach Cristobal a lot of credit for what he's bringing there. These guys want to stay, play another year, and definitely win the – I mean – Win or lose that Auburn game, it's so early. I still think you went out and you win the Pac-12, you have a chance to go to that college football playoff. couple last things for you, Neil, here on the BFT. Um, when you look at the semifinals this weekend, you got Bama and Oklahoma in that 1-4 uh, matchup. You got Clemson, Notre Dame in the other matchup. Who do you like? Well, it depends what day you watch and who's getting suspended with uh, either yeah. team rules or <laughs> – we got drugs, uh, we got bead testing. Got to love college time. kids, I don't know. Right? What, what the hell's going on with all that? Oh, man. Uh, there's enough guys there. You know, I, I think everybody in America is still picking Alabama to win. And I'll tell you the game I'm looking forward to watch, though, I think it's a toss-up. Clemson-Notre Dame, uh, I don't think Notre Dame is getting the, the, the love that they should be getting, what they went through this year and getting there that far. They got that uh, the proverbial chip on the shoulder. I think that's the upset game, Jude, that, that I'm going to look forward to watching is uh, a Notre Dame win over Clemson. Ooh, I like it. Mm. I, that smells good to me. That tastes nice right there, Neil. And uh, this weekend, I know you're probably headed up for Seahawks-Cardinals, right? Seeing uh, your former pro team in action against Russell Wilson and company. Uh, you know, what, what's your what's your assessment of Josh Rosen as a young quarterback? And if you get a chance to share some advice with him, what would it be? <laughs> be patient and love the offensive linemen. Uh, whatever you did this Christmas, you better make sure they all got Hawaiian vacation. They all going to Cabo. <laughs> you are taking care of the O line as a rookie. You're making enough money. Take care of the big boys, and it's just a dip. You don't know. He came. He came into a bad situation. All five. All five of these rookie quarterbacks are playing now. It's incredible. And Josh Rose is on a team that's not very good. And that team, quite honestly, they're gonna maybe fire their coach Wilkes in the first year. That's going to be so difficult for him again for next year. Now you had Brian Leftwich coaching you. Now you're going to have a whole different offensive coordinator. Uh, it, it's difficult. I ought to know because I had six offensive coordinators in ten years. Gosh. I mean, every other year you're, you're switching the philosophy. makes it very tough. Do we forget about just how important that is to have, you know, consistency in the OC and the quarterback? It, it is. Because look, look what Drew Brees is doing with Sean Payton and that philosophy and that staff. You know, Ben Roethlisberger keeps having the – why? Uh, Tom Brady, why? The head coach has been there for so many years, and you, you just hope Andy Reid can stay there a few more years and watch that Patrick Mahomes guy keep blossoming and see what he keeps doing. And that is the key is the head coach stand, and that whole offensive staff stays for that young quarterback. It's really, really important. Yeah, and Marcus Mariota is the converse. He's had like three coordinators in his four years too, so – uh, that that speaks to that. Who would your Super Bowl pick be right right now? Well, I love I love watching Kansas City play, and I love watching the Rams play. I just love those teams. I love them. I, I love watching the Saints play. I love to see what Drew Brees is doing. But how about this? I'd love to see Drew Brees go all the way and Philip Rivers go all the way. That'd be my emotional pick. Is to watch those two great guys that I've known for a long time. Those guys clash it out. I think Philip Rivers deserves that. I I wish the Los Angeles Chargers can go all the way. You, you got it. L.A. Chargers. Not, have you yeah, ever got to interact with Phillip? Yeah. Yeah, a couple times from charity events. I met him in Tahoe, and the guy reminds me, he, he, he's the younger version of a Steve Barkowski. 
has all that back, that country style to him, very, very competitive, doesn't get a whole lot of credit. But this year they're, they're proven they are, you know, Hall of Fame-worthy quarterbacks to see what Drew Brees is doing again at, at 39. And more important, not just his age, but his height. This, this should debunk. That's why the heart and the mind is so important. Drew Brees is maybe 6'6'1", maybe. And so is Russell Wilson. But you can't measure that heart and that mind. And that's what I love about these athletes, that these star quarterbacks can still perform. They don't have to be 6'5 and 233. Same goes for radio hosts. You know, here I'm 5'8", you know, buck 60, soaking wet. I, I can still survive in this business. <laughs> you just proved my point. Absolutely. <laughs> Ask guys like you, look at Peter Samson. Look at Peter over there shaking his head, man. Yes. Not to, you know, on paper, doesn't have that body of work. But you come to look at him, though. Six three, Come on, Neil. He says he's 6'3". Neil, hey, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Look forward to seeing you on Monday, man. Hey, we're going to talk it up and have a good time. Yes, we will. There he is. Neil Lomax, college football Hall of Famer, spreading the love today on the BFT. What a guy, man. He's genuine. He's authentic. He loves talking ball. And uh, he's just a good guy to be around. Neil Lomax, ladies and gentlemen. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. We'll continue to uh, break down Oregon, Michigan State. Well, who do you think wins this game and why? Neil Lomax says he's convinced that the Ducks win, and they win comfortably. He would lay the minus two right now. He thinks Oregon puts up a lot of points in this game. I want to agree with him, but dang, D'Antonio is a tough SOB, and it's the best run defense in the country. 503-417-7575. The Oregon Ducks are more talented on the offensive side of the ball than Michigan State by far. But, you know, if I'm honest about who has the coaching edge in this game, it's Mark D'Antonio over Mario Cristobal. It just is. And I know that Mario is one heck of a recruiter, but when it comes to -to head-to-head big game coaching showdowns, like, he still has to win a big game for me to be able to give him the edges in contests like this. Mark D'Antonio's been there, done that. And therefore, right now, you know, even though talent favors Oregon, location favors Oregon, off-season storylines, December storylines hugely favor Oregon. But is that perception or is that reality on the football field? If I'm looking at reality on the football field, I'm still saying edge Michigan State. I know no one wants to hear that, but I'm not yet ready to say that Oregon's going to win this game by, you know, a touchdown or more. 503-417-7575. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for JC today on the BFT. Do you guys agree? I actually feel pretty good about about Oregon's chances here. The uh, Shane Lemieux, Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hansen, Panay Sewell's going to be back. Justin Herbert's back. I feel good about that line. That offensive line before Sewell went down was so solid, and a lot of Oregon struggles. Look, there was play calling. There, there were a lot of questionable things on the offensive side. So much of it coincided with when Panay Sewell went down, and I know that Michigan State's run defense is so good. I'm looking for a big performance by that O-line. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, that's where I'm going with. This is the first time the O-line's been healthy together since that Washington game all together. And I think that that's going to be the key moment. I, yeah, they're, they're going to beat the spread. I, 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 think, I think they're going to win by a touchdown. I do. At I mean, least a touchdown. I can see a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think blowout. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a blow. What do you define a blowout for me? I, I will say, um, well, here yeah, it's a good question because you could get a 10-point win by going up 24 in the third quarter and then having the other team backdoor, or you could get a 10-point win by getting a 
pick six on the team's final drive to go up from three to ten, right? So I would say, you know, I expect it to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter and for Oregon to win by fewer than ten points. Anything more than that, if Oregon's up by two scores in the fourth quarter or they win by more by a by more than ten points, that would be a surprise to me. Yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be a seven to ten point Ducks win. I, I think that's a good that's a good call. I, I was going to say seven points. Um, I can see ten, but I don't think this game's going to get out of control. Me I don't either. think anybody's going to get you know twenty one points tough. or anything like that up. I, I I don't. I think I can see a seven to ten point win. I don't see. Th- th- you said the spread's two points right now. It's Oregon minus two. Th- th- no, that's I. I you you would lay that right now. Yeah, easy. I've already laid it. Okay, man. That's. <laughs> 44 to 15 that happened in Tucson. It happened. They were they were down 24 nothing. They didn't have all their players. Wazoo. They didn't have all their players. They you're going to blame a 30 point loss just I'm, by having no, not all their players? I am, especially when you're their defense They is, played so terribly on the road this year. They this have. is not in Austin. They have. I think I think here here's another reason. Dan I think I think 5 and 1 in his last 6 bowl yeah, games. Yeah, but I think attitude, right? All these players that have announced they're coming back. Yeah. I think that they're going to be fired up on Monday. Fired see, up. I could see that going the other way. I could see them being like, "Hey, we're all coming back. We're I so disagree. fired up, and it's Michigan State that smacks them in the mouth." I could see that, and no one wants to hear that. I'm surprised. I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with you. I don't. For some reason, because of you know, because of games like Arizona, I'll go the flip side. Because of that game, that's why they're going to turn around and smack Michigan State in the mouth. Yeah. That's why. Because they got woken up for for games like that on the road, and okay. because they say why why I don't look, know you could have said that for because of Washington State they would have showed up for Arizona and they got their butts. Sure, I could have said it, but I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get the opinion of Tyson Alger of the Athletic. He'll join us live from San Francisco and the Red Box Bowl Media Day uh, coming up next. Also, we'll talk the semifinals with Barton Simmons of CBS Sports. He'll join us in the final hour as well. Uh, we'll also talk some NFL Week 17 because there's a couple of good games. Not like the Week 16 slate. Week 16 was crazy good, uh, most notably the Seattle Seahawks, the Super Bowl champions of uh, 2019. Called it. Uh, <laughs> they took down uh, Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. Excited for that one, Seahawks-Cardinals. But, man, and by the way, Cardinals coach Steve Wilkes, he gave his press conference, like, I don't know, 20 minutes ago or so. The podium was not up for him. Like, normally there's a podium ready to go for him. Podium's not up. It's not up. And so he walks up and he just says, boy, you really know that you're on your way out when they don't even put out the podium for you. <laughs> I love the love. That. That's some self-awareness right there. <laughs> you got to steer into this kid sometimes. I'm surprised they didn't just have a cardboard box there yeah. as the podium and then they just flip it over when it's done here. <laughs> go clean out your desk. That was his last thing. He dressed the media. Dyson Allinger joins us next on the BFT. We'll preview the Week 17 in action in the NFL coming up. Plus two at two, punch it audio. Our predictions for the Oregon-Michigan State Red Box Bowl as well. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for JC today on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. But first, we go live down to San Francisco. It is Red Box Bowl Media Day ahead of the Oregon Ducks taking on the Michigan State Spartans in the Red Box Bowl. Can't wait 
Can't wait, in the words of Bart Scott, as we get ready for a New Year's Eve showdown down in Santa Clara. And that's where we find Tyson Alger of The Athletic. Tyson, my man, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. It's been a minute. Uh, what's the vibes like down at Media Day for the Red Box Bowl? Uh, you know, everyone's got their red boxes ready. Um, you know, everyone's searching for DVD players to, to actually play those. No, it's uh, we we just got we just got out of the uh, kind of the intro press conferences for the day. Uh, both coaches talked to a few players. Uh, nothing huge today. Just on the Oregon side of things, just a lot of uh, you know, still kind of talking about the news of Justin Herbert deciding to return. Uh, offensive lineman Shane Lemieux announced he was going to come back for next year. So. Uh, it's kind of funny that we're sitting here three days away from a, a bowl game against a pretty big opponent opponent in Michigan State, and everyone's kind of just talking about 2019 right now. Yeah, they really are, and I, I don't blame them because that's how big the decision was from Justin Herbert to come back for his senior year. Uh, what was your reaction to that news? Were you surprised? Were you not surprised? And what are your thoughts for the expectations for the 2019 Oregon program? Uh, I wasn't surprised by his decision. Uh, you know, I, I think there was a a large amount of people who kind of, uh, you know, believed him when he said, you know, he, he hadn't really put a lot of thought into it yet. And I think that ultimately was true that, you know, he, he wasn't one of those guys that had made up his mind, you know, six, seven months ago and then knew this was going to be his final ride. Um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by his, by the news itself. I mean, um, you know, obviously it's hard to turn down being a first round NFL draft pick, but between, the, the talent level of his team next year, coupled with the fact that he's going to be playing with his brother, that's not all that surprising. I was just surprised at the timing of it. I, I was not expecting that to come out the day after Christmas. So I, I filed a nice little uh, story on my uh, iPad on the side of the I-5 driving home from Seattle that, that day. So. That's awesome. Where, where's the craziest place you filed a story from? Craziest place I filed a story from? That's a good question. I mean, you know, when, when you're doing kind of like the high school sports feed, I mean, you kind of have it pretty down. Uh, uh, all the McDonald's with free Wi-Fi is pretty down uh, oh. throughout, the, throughout the state. But yeah. uh, I've, 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 I've filed plenty of stories from, like, uh, the, the front seat of my car, you know, pulled over when breaking news happens and stuff. It's, uh, it's certainly not ideal, especially if uh, your uh, phone plan isn't super high speed. <laughs> Dude, I love that, man. That's pulling back the curtain. People forget. Like, I mean, obviously – as a journalist, you're you're hoping people don't know where you file some of the breaking stories from because it's not important to the story. But man, there's pressure there. It's it's, it's a glamorous lifestyle, man. I mean, uh, you know, just uh, yeah, it's it's uh, all all the bells and whistles. Hey, what do you what do you think uh, Dylan Mitchell and Troy Die will do? What do you think they should do in terms of will they come back or leave? Uh, I I think they both have a lot to gain if they come back. You know, I, I don't. I haven't seen either of their names all that high on NFL draft things. You know, I, I think they would both be drafted, but, you know, we're not talking about first first or second rounders here. Um, so I, I definitely think they could come back and, and kind of better their stock. But, you know, it's there's also some surprises that happens. You know, uh, you know, Troy Dye has been here for a long time, and, and he's, he's seen a lot of stuff, and maybe maybe he's ready to go do something else. But, but I, I, I don't see either of those guys as, like, bonafide going to NFL draft locks. You know, and a lot of conversation, understandably, is on the uh, 
the guys that are coming back for their senior years. But how about the seniors that are playing their final game in an Oregon uniform? Guys like Jelks and uh, Hollins and even Ugo Amadi. What does this game mean for them? Yeah, it, it means a lot, and that's something I asked Jelks about today because, you know, his, his first season, he redshirted during 2014, so he's kind of seen the whole roller coaster up and down for the Ducks over the last four or five seasons. And so, you know, a lot of people are talking about the future and where Ugo Amadi said he thinks the Ducks are going to win a championship in the next two to three years. But, you know, this, this being able to win this game and putting a feather on an 8-4, uh, potential 9-4 and four season for Jalen Jokes, that means a lot because, you know, two or three years ago this was, you know, the kind of the laughing stock of a program at this level. And uh, Jokes has played a large part in kind of bringing that back from, uh, from the ground. And I know Tony Brooks James, you know, what an interesting career path he's had. But here's another guy that's kind of struggled through 2018 for a variety of reasons, injuries being one of them. I know you uh, you had on Twitter today that Mario Cristobal says that TBJ is still struggling to come back from injury. You know, what do we make of him and his duck career? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always liked Tony, and I, I think he's, in, in, situ, in situational play, he can be a real explosive player. I mean, we've seen that over the years with his with his speed and athleticism in space. I mean, he's he's a very dangerous player. You know, I, I think he's just kind of miscast a little bit as, you know, people expecting him to be, you know, kind of the, the heir, apparent, heir apparent of Royce Freeman this year or be kind of being that bell cow. I mean, I, I think if you take Tony Brooks' James' career for what it is and the fact that he was just a a nice skill player that probably would have been a really good player for Oregon if he came during a different time period, maybe five, six years ago. Um, you know, it might have been different for him. But, you know, he, he played a nice role. He just happened to be behind Royce Freeman for three or four years. We're talking to Tyson Alger of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at Tyson Alger. Brian Lewerke will be the starting quarterback for Michigan State. I know uh, he had been uh, banged up a little bit. You know, the Michigan State defense against the Oregon offense is going to be a great, great matchup. But what about the other way, Tyson? What are your thoughts on Michigan State's offense against the Oregon Duck defense? How does Sparty try to move the ball, and how do you see that one playing out? You know, I, I think Oregon's defense is better than Michigan State's offense, and I think that gap is closer than the other way around, where Michigan State has the number one running defense in the country. Um, I, I just I just don't like Michigan State's offense. I mean, they, they are the... the Levels of which they had a bad offense this year are comparable to how bad Oregon's defense was in 2015. I mean, they just rank near the bottom of all those stats. And yes, they've had some injuries, but they weren't exactly lighting it up, you know, pre-injury sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I just think the the big key for Oregon is going to be whether or not Justin Herbert can kind of get some consistency, and if the Ducks can find some traction on on the ground against that really good. Rushing defense at Michigan State. Yeah, if I had to give you a prop bet, is Oregon going to get over 100 yards rushing against Sparty in this game? I think so, just because having those tools back on the offensive line, I think Oregon's going to kind of want to reestablish its identity as that ground to town team. You know, having Penny Sewell back, being able to move Calvin Throckmorton back to his natural position. I, I just think I think Oregon's going to try to run it too much to not eclipse 100 yards. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds uh, pretty good. How about the you know what this means for Cristobal? Because you know it's finally a bowl game that he's got some time to get his guys ready, as opposed to the chaotic time against Boise State last year. But Cristobal against Mark D'Antonio, like this is a big game for Mario. Yeah, no, it's 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 a uh, it's a big game against a, a big time opponent and you know a pretty noteworthy coach. Um, you know this, this is kind of. Uh, 
you know, if you were to do the matchups on paper, I mean, I think you'd give the edge just in terms of what they've done in their career to D'Antonio, obviously. But, you know, Chris Bull's kind of on the up and up. And, and whereas last year in the Las Vegas Bowl where you're playing Boise State, and the coaches were flying out on helicopter airplanes to go do last-minute recruiting trips. You know, they're able to actually be here for the full week. They're able to, you know, fully focus on, on the opponent and not have the fact that there was a coaching search and all that sort of stuff thrown in the middle. Um, I, I think they're just going to be able to show that they are much better prepared this season than they were last year. At all right, a couple of last things for you, Tyson. Who wins the Red Box Bowl and why? Uh, I'm going to say Oregon because I'm on Oregon Airways right now. There you go. I really want, and I want to get those ratings, baby. No, no, uh, your no. audience, my friend. Let's go. Yeah, no. Uh, I actually, I actually do like Oregon in this game. I, I think, you know, Oregon's peak this year was pretty good when they were healthy. We just rarely saw that peak because they were so injured all season long. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that with all these pieces back, they get back to playing pretty sound football. And I mean. Michigan State's got a really boring offense, and, and so let's let's go with the offense here. So. What's more boring, a Red Box movie or Michigan State's offense? Ooh. Uh, well, Ooh. I mean, you know, I haven't checked out a Red Box in a while. I'm, an, I'm a Netflix guy myself. So. Uh, no one's checked out the Michigan State offense in a while, too. It's that much of a stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, Netflix all day long. Um, then, finally, 2019 expectations. How would you define a successful 2019 season, given everything that's coming back? I mean, there's some pressure to win big next year, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at bare minimum, uh, with the expectation levels they have, I think a Pac-12 title or at least a conference championship game appearance is kind of the basement for what you would define being a, a successful season where you have, you know, the potential first-round draft pick at quarterback coming back along with the entire offense, uh, offensive starters from this year. I mean, they're not losing a ton on defense either. They got all those players coming in. I, I I mean, even this year, coming into their first season, their whole goal was take the pack. You saw that on Twitter all over mm-hmm. the place. So I, I think that kind of realistically moves into what you should expect of them next season. Yeah. And then they finished fourth in the North. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That actually happened. How does, you know, take the pack. There, a couple of, you know, should have beat Stanford. You know, we, we could go down that road, but definitely didn't take the pack as they would have hoped and you know what their week one opponent in 2019 is auburn and as we speak tyson they have 63 in the music city bowl against purdue i know stidham won't play next year but uh you know war eagles can be pretty good yeah and uh in uh, Cristobal's press conference today a lot of us had the the tab open with the, the auburn score I, I think a lot of us found that more interesting than talking about the bowl game but. yeah it's crazy <laughs> Hey, man, it's good to reconnect with you. Enjoy the Bay and uh, enjoy the uh, the holiday season. Happy New Year to you, Tyson. Hey, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. There he is, Tyson Alger. Follow him on Twitter, at Tyson Alger on the Tweet Machine. He likes the Ducks. He sees it pretty similarly as my compadres, uh, Peter Sampson and Bobby Bean. Uh, Bobby, you were uh, shaking your head pretty vigorously when Tyson said, you know what, we just haven't seen these guys healthy in one group for much of the season. We will in this game, and that gives him optimism that they'll produce. He's a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> he's right on the money. Yep. Well, he's a Netflix man. That's right. <laughs> Aren't we all? 503-417-7575, your prediction for the Red Box Bowl. Get in here and sound off on a BFT Friday. Who 
Welcome to the Red Box Bowl. Get in. Get your predictions in. Tweet at 1029 the game. Call 503-417-7575. I don't know anybody out here that's picking Michigan State, and that has me a little worried. Even I will probably pick Oregon, and even I'm on the more, like, riding down the middle side of this. You know, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, y'all are taking the Ducks by at least a touchdown, if I'm hearing that clearly. Sounds like our guest today, Neil Lomax, likes the Ducks big. Tyson Alger likes the Ducks in this game as well. You know, <laughs> feels like uh, the other shoe is about to drop. Nah, duck, <laughs> Ducks by 7 to 10 points. <laughs> Sticking to it. That's right. That's, I'm right with that. Uh, we're taking your calls as well, 503-417-7575. Hey, there's Tony in Vancouver calling in. Tony, what's up, man? Long time no talk. What's up, guys? Yeah, uh, this is, uh, next year is going to be a, a pivotal year for Mario Cristobal because I don't think he's going to be set up any better than he's set up now. If he doesn't get, if he doesn't buy for the Pac-12 title next year, then uh, especially with Herbert, and yeah, you know, there's going to be some questions about this guy. Um, and Herbert's another guy. He, he's got something to prove too. He uh, he didn't really impress me with his accuracy this year, and he, and he doesn't know how to slide. If that guy don't learn how to slide, he's going to get killed. Now, what do you think? I, I I think Oregon's going to win, but it's a pick 'em to me. Yep. Okay. There we go. We get, we got a little bit more realism coming in now. I what? appreciate the call, Tony. No, I'm just saying. Like, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout. And look, for, for his points for 2019, um, there's a difference between being an elite recruiter and being an elite in-game college football coach. You know, Nick Saban does both incredibly well. But even Nick Saban needed an offensive, you know, dynamic mind to maximize his offense. Even Nick Saban, to get to this level, had to recruit a five-star quarterback. Finally, and he did. So he knows the game is bigger than his own skill set. Mario, I don't know how good of an in-game, big-game coach he is yet. We don't know that for sure. In fact, Oregon probably wins big games just by being more talented. But in the past, given any number of duckhead coaches, what has happened in other big games that Oregon didn't have more talent than the opponent? They lost those games. They were more talented than Florida State in the Rose Bowl. They crushed Florida State. They were less talented than Ohio State and Terrell Pryor in the Rose Bowl. They lost to them. They were less talented than the four-seed Ohio State in the uh, national championship. They lost to them as well, even though Ohio State was on a third-string quarterback. Talent doesn't always dictate success. Oregon will have the talent. I think Crystal Ball will continue to recruit the hell out of Eugene and will win Pac-12 recruiting battles like nobody's business. He already has without winning anything big. So how much more when he starts to win will he keep that recruiting momentum? But in-game adjustments matter. And what the question still applies to Crystal Ball, and it certainly still applies to Marcus Arroyo, too. Uh, defensively, I'm a little bit more conf- confident in Jim Levitt. But that, to me, that matters in this game, and it's going to matter against Auburn, at USC, at Washington, and at Stanford next year. I mean, Cristobal still has questions to be answered. That's that's true. Next year is going to be a real challenge. It, 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 it is. The pressure's on. There's no denying that the that the the pressure's on, and especially early. They open up Auburn, right? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> look at this. It just ended here. What a blob. I mean, that's a uh, that's not Bowling Green. That's not San Jose State. It's 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 going to be tough. But all, you know, the personnel's coming back. Cristobal does need to show that he can make those adjustments. Arroyo or anyone else needs to show that they can maximize Justin Herbert. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen, and and that that means that there's a lot of you know 
yes, they can prove people wrong, but Justin Herbert's got to complete more than 59% of his passes. Like, that's just not going to fly in 2019. Yeah. It won't fly in this game against Michigan State either. And I know they're down a couple of secondary guys, so hopefully that helps Herbert. But I'm telling you, man, stakes are raised. The receiver's also got to catch the ball when it's thrown to him. Yeah. That's yeah. he would have he would have been above sixty percent if they would have caught the balls that were thrown to him. You know, you think Patrick Herbert by himself probably gets Justin sixty six percent passing next year, maybe. Yeah, there's a reason the second half of the year he basically exclusively went to Dylan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. It's because no one else could grab the ball, especially in the, those gimme games. You saw three or four drops every single game. I mean, I'm talking balls thrown right between the numbers. Yeah, look, normally it's funny. Herbert had a really good chemistry with Jacob Breland last year. It wasn't there to be seen this year. I don't know what it was, if, whether it's restructuring of the offense or what, but Cam McCormick being out for the season, I think, hurt him. Breland asked to do a lot of blocking from the tight end position, probably made him less available as a pass catcher. There wasn't a ton of tight end connection this year, and that's normally a staple of the Duck offense. How do you think they're going to approach this game against Michigan State? You think they're going to go, you think Cristobal's going to go, okay, you're the best against the run. I'm a power runner type of offense that I want to do. I'm going to go, you know, power on power. Do you think he's going to kind of mix it up with Herbert and and throw the ball right off the get-go? That is the only thing I want to watch. That is a great, great question, Bobby, because we talked about this with Mike Bellotti yesterday. At what point do you sacrifice your convictions and your philosophy for what might be the better strategy? At what point do you play left-handed? Because... Because this, you could argue, this is the game to play left-handed. This could be the game to be coming out, throwing down the field, right out of the gate. Come on. You should be. But That's what I'm saying. But that, they've not done that all year. They want to establish the run first. That's their right-handed game. I'm yeah. not sure if you can do that off the get-bat in this game. I think you've got to. Having weeks to prepare this great run defense down in the secondary, having Justin Herbert play right, in this game. But you guys have just said you, your offensive line is back and healthy. Therefore, you run the ball. Here's no, a... I just said the offensive line's back. I never said, therefore, you run well, the ball. Yeah, Bobby yeah. wants to run the ball. No, I don't know if I want to run the ball. You don't stop running the ball. That's what you don't do. You don't exclusively go to a pass like a lot of teams will do in a situation like this. You, you don't want to get one dimensional. That's yeah. right. You got to keep going to the run, even if they stop you. Just don't go two two runs and then a pass. Two runs and a pass yeah. is going to drive me crazy. It's a lot of third and sevens. Yeah, and that's where your bad pass percentage comes. A lot of third and seven, third and eights. We saw that in the Arizona game, the Wazoo game. The Utah game, even a lot of third and longs, and that's where Michigan State, who's got a great pass rusher at defensive end, Kenny Wilkes, twenty and a half tackles for loss this year, yeah. second most in program history for a single season. You know, you don't think about how many great linemen are in the Big Ten. Big Ten defensive lineman of the year, Kenny Wilkes, and he came to Michigan State in twenty fifteen as a walk on, and has gotten to this level. Him against Panay Sewell, him against Calvin Throckmorton. It's going to be awesome. Isn't that going to be nice? It's going to be fun. It's going to be so fun. I also want to see Dylan Mitchell against the Sparty secondary because I think those guys are vulnerable. I think Mitchell's here to eat. Oh, yeah. He, he's here to eat. Akili Smith better not show up. Akili <laughs> <laughs> Smith better not show up. Where is Akili? Maybe we hit him up. I keep saying that. I keep saying that. Have Did you reached you out this? yet? I, I have not. No. Reach out. We got to make that happen. I will. Let's just call him up on the show and see what's up. <laughs> Bobby, yeah. did you see this Twitter beef? I did see it. Mitchell and yeah. Akili. That's great. I, there's nothing like cross-era <laughs> Oregon Ducks social media beef. I mean, Mitchell called Akili a capital S snake. Called him a slime. A slime. <laughs> slime blast. He, he broke off a slime blast. How, come on, man. Who would you call a slime right now?
Not sports uh, arena. Sports arena. Sports uh, arena. Has to be in the sports arena. Has to be in the local I, sports arena. I, oh, I can't say that. Then. Who, who's your no slime way. blast? Not going to do it for I 2018. For 2018. For 2018. Who's your slime in sports for 2018? Kevin Durant. And we'll talk about it. Kick off our final hour. This is the Baldface Truth. John Gonzano, raw, sourced, fresh. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, built by high caliber millwrights. This is the bald faced truth. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Who would your slime blast be for two thousand and eighteen? Allah. What uh, Dylan Mitchell attempted to do with Keely Smith on social media this week. Who's your sports slime blast? Who are you calling a slime? Kevin Durant is one of our nominees. This is the last show before New Year's? I know, right? Dude, that happened fast. Yes, it did. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. We're all uh, here talking ducks. Sparty in the Red Box Bowl. Also, college football playoff semifinals tomorrow. We'll talk to... Barton Simmons of CBS Sports in about 30 minutes as well. Neil Lomax has checked in. He likes the Ducks big. Tyson Alger checks in. He likes the Ducks to win this football game as well. Meanwhile, their week one opponent of 2019 just laid an absolute beatdown on uh, Purdue. Auburn put it up 63 points in the Music City Bowl. Now, they're not going to have Jared Stidham at quarterback next year, but and they're going to lose some linebackers and some defensive line talent, but that's quite the statement to uh, to make in your last game before playing Oregon. Yeah, they could have put up 80 if they wanted to. They exclusively ran the ball for the last like quarter and a half. Yeah, and what, they have like 56 at halftime, right? Yeah. That's stupid, man. Come on, Purdue. What is that? Transitively, Auburn would have beaten Ohio State then by like 100, <laughs> <laughs> considering that's what Purdue did to Ohio State. You know, I don't get college football sometimes. We have too many bowl games, obviously. How far, How much should we be cutting down our bowl games? Do oh, we have man. Like, what, 20 bowl games, that's it? Cut it in half. Cut it in half. Yep. Way too many teams. Yep. It's It's got to... Nobody cares. No one cares, man. I don't even know why they have them. A lot of these are losing money. The First Responders Bowl, losing tons of money, and they cancel it 10 minutes into the game because of weather, because why? They're losing money already. Yeah, and I can tell you I can go the rest of my life without seeing another cheese at bowl. Wait. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Did you guys the- see that? That was one of the worst bowls I've seen in my entire life. Cal taking on uh, Texas Christian. Nine interceptions. Yeah, and I actually, oh yeah, let's just, yeah. I was going to play this yesterday, we didn't get to it, but this is what a nine interception game sounds like. For those guys, but for TCU, that was the whole central focus of practice. As this one goes down the middle and intercepted. Jalen Hawkins was the only one who knew the ball was thrown. And that's what we saw right there. We saw bunting earlier. McCallum castles that time, and it's intercepted. Picked off by TCU. That star player, Jalen Rager, in motion. He can throw back to Muehlstein. Where's this going? Who knows? The other way. Flags everywhere. Hawkins' second pick. Garber's on play action. Intercepted. Nico Small to the first ball. Three a game for those guys. Muehlstein felt the heat, gave away the pocket, threw across his body, and Kanarczyk ripped it off. Burns a timeout, so it was a very costly move on that play as that ball is intercepted by Jeff Gladney. 
for TCU. And Gladney leaves some time. Mule's time. Maybe it's with his legs. He was in front of the line of scrimmage, and it's picked off anyway. Forrest across his body into traffic and trouble and picked off. Third down. Forrest cuts it loose. like a Celine Dion concert. It just wouldn't end. I'd rather watch peewee football than that game. That's terrible. You see some of those intersections. I swear. He's like, hey, you. I'm going to throw you the ball. You get a pick. And you get a pick. Everyone gets a pick. That one trick play, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? That was one of the worst things I've ever seen. That was my favorite moment in college football all year. Possibly college football history. Yeah. The lateral, you know, throwback to the quarterback, and then he rolls back to the middle of the field, still throws it, throws a pick. Oh, my gosh. My favorite call on that is Mulestein. Oh, he's over the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Oh, it's intercepted anyway. He's the only one who knew he threw the ball. <laughs> Ten to seven in overtime, and of course the Pac-12's involved in this game, and of course the Pac-12 loses this god awful game. Of course they did. Optics just could they get any worse? We're just looking for a good bowl game. That's all we want. But we got the fighting Herms losing to a non-power five, and now we got Justin Wilcox losing an overtime game. That uh, features nine combined interceptions. Can it get any worse for this conference for optics? I don't think it can, but then again, I didn't think it could get any ugly. Yeah. And we said the, the over-under on that game was 37. I was like, man, maybe Vegas knows something. Well, it got to 17, right? Wait, wait, was it 10-7 or 17-10? 10-7. Yeah. yeah, got to 17 points. <laughs> the heck with that? That is absolutely terrible. Bobby, is Washington State playing tonight? They are playing tonight. Okay. Iowa State. Iowa State in the uh, Alamo Bowl? Yep. What's the spread on this sucker? I haven't looked at it. I'm firing it up right here. Yeah, Wazoo, two and a half. I think Wazoo's tough on a field where they don't have to deal with weather. That's true, man. I I think they're tough. I think they're going to beat Iowa State. I think they're finally going to, you know, at least we'll get one win in the Pac-12 until Oregon plays on Monday. How much of this, you know, and I know it's ironic even suggesting that there's a thing as Pac-12 bias, but (laughs) for us in this room, we do watch more Pac-12 football than we would watch Iowa State at any point. And I I love college football. I love Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State. He just signed a six-year extension with them in the offseason. You don't see guys doing that very much to stay at a place like uh, Ames, Iowa. But he did that. Um, I'm looking at their schedule, some of their... Look, this team started 0-2 with losses to Iowa, 13-3. They lost to Oklahoma, 37-27. They lost to TCU, 17-14. But then they beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater, 48-42. They beat West Virginia, who was ranked 6th at the time, 30-14. They beat Texas Tech. They won at Kansas. They beat Baylor. They lost at Texas. You know... Iowa State beat everybody that they should beat, and they lost to everybody that they should have lost to, except for upsetting West Virginia. That's their best win by far. But uh, you know, I don't know if they're—I don't know if they've got the firepower to hang with Wazoo. I tell you what, though, Bobby Pete, you know, let me know if you agree. 
Pac-12 needs Washington State to win this game, and it'd be nice if they won big. Oh yeah, <laughs> they do. And I, you know, if it's a if it's a shootout, I think it'll be a fun game, and I think Wazoo can keep up. I I do. I think Wazoo can win this one in the end. Um, you know, I we'll go back to Apple Cup. That it was just a the weather. I'm telling you, they would have won that game had it been a beautiful. The next day. Did you see the weather the next day? It was, beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. If the Apple Cup's on a Saturday and not a Friday, I think Wazoo wins. I do too. That's so tough. Yeah. Is, are they cursed? They are cursed. He's he, he is cursed <laughs> against the Huskies, and you know my my opinion about the Huskies. You love them. Is that your slime? Oh, my oh yeah. His Bobby's slime of twenty eighteen. We're supposed to Washington. be unbiased when we're here. That's the only team I will never be unbiased to. Hey, Bobby, the Yankees suck. Uh, well, okay, I'm biased a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out to Mitch from Jersey. Mitch, what's up, man? Yo, where you at? Hey, hey Mitch, are you there? All right, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still driving. Almost home. Nice. Happy New Year. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be a time, uh, just to show his time, because next year, it's be tough to be the top pick. You know he's going to be picked ahead of uh, the Alabama quarterback. But uh, he's going to have some competition. Tate will probably go out. Um, there's a few more. Next year's uh, Crappie, uh, better, uh, much better than quarterbacks uh, picking. Um, Michigan State is a basketball uh, team, uh, college. They're in the middle of the pack. I don't know how they even got this late in the bowl. So I, I think Oregon beats them pretty well. And uh, Justin is going to be look, going out on a good note. I mean, for next year at least. It'll be, it'll be interesting next year, very interesting, because uh, Daniels will be better. J.D. Downs from USC. And, of course, Washington's got that uh, transfer uh, be playing next year. Yep. So yeah. I, I don't, it won't be close. Do you like Oregon uh, by a couple scores? Uh, I think 14. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. Appreciate it, Mitch. Happy New Year. You too. Take care. There he is, Mitch from Jersey. Always appreciate him. He's uh, one of the best callers to this program, you know, all year long if we're giving out end-of-year awards. Uh, Mitch from Jersey, certainly a, a nominee. We're also taking uh, nominee slimes for 2018. You had Kevin Durant, Samson. You're not okay. a KD fan. Not a KD. I respect that he's the toughest one-on-one cover in the NBA. It's just I don't like his act, you know, really embracing the villain role. He's an insecure guy. He always has been. He was shielded from the media in Oklahoma City, but everything I've heard from other people in this business, he was that way there as well. I, I just don't dig his act. And, and moving to Golden State, he thought he would be finally embraced and loved if he was a champion. He wasn't. Everyone cracked on him, and I'm just tired of his act. And besides, the thing that cements it more than anything is – there was a post-game, uh, you know, Coach Kerr gives the presser. They interview the players. Coach Kerr, this happened the same day. Coach Kerr, we need to pass the ball more. KD, we need to stop trying to move the ball around so much. If anyone's going to disrupt that offense, it's Kevin Durant. Mm. Is he back next year? No, no. I, he's going to go to the Knicks. That, that's my call. Where does Kawhi go? Look, before Toronto emerged as an amazing team, I mean, the Clippers were the clear front runners. They're probably still the leaders in the clubhouse, but I have it basically a coin toss. Clippers or he stays in Toronto. There's no predicting that guy. No. Just don't know. You know, he's like Bobby. He's like, no predicting Bobby Bean. That's the way you should live your life. <laughs> that's Unpredict- right. Unpredictable. That's right. Isn't that a song? Good Charlotte? No, that's predictable, actually. Good Charlotte wrote a song called Predictable.
Because <laughs> Charlotte gets to the show on a Friday. Ooh, that's weird. We had Jimmy <laughs> World on the show on a Wednesday, and uh, I'm sure we got somebody in on a, on yesterday's show. I can't remember who, but... It's always somebody. It's always somebody. What can the Pac-12 do to have any kind of respect? We're already 0-2, you know, being in the Pac-12, in the, in the, you know, right in the middle of it. We're 0-2 right now. Washington State plays tonight. Oregon plays on Monday. Is it more important that Oregon and Washington State wins, or would you take those two losses and have what? Take out oh, your biases. You can't take even those, say it. Take you them, can't even get it out, out of your mouth. Take those two biases out. Is it more important that Washington beats Ohio State? You just threw up a little bit. Yeah, I did. Washington beats Ohio State. Then these next two games for the Pac-12. Yes. Probably, yeah. It's more important for Washington to beat Ohio oh! State. I No, you agree, right? I do, and but I hate it, that. I know. Look, and I put it out on, on social a while ago. If you're a Duck fan... Who are you rooting for in the Rose Bowl? Ohio State or Washington? Does the, do the Ducks win? The Ducks win on Monday. Yes. Okay. Say that the, the Ducks have already won. So you get your your first wish. Ducks win. Do Washington State win tonight? Washington State wins. Okay. Go Buckeyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from your standpoint, the <laughs> yes, so from your standpoint, if the Pac-12 gets. You know, no. the Wazoo win and the Oregon win, and it's like, okay, well, that's good for the Pac-12. Now we don't have to root for the Pac-12 anymore. So I they, don't. They can afford to, you personally don't. Yeah, do I think that it's better? I did admit that it is better if Washington beats Ohio State than these next two games. I you did, did admit, you admit, admit that. Yeah. Yep. But if these two get the but, win, but give you... for me, I'm not rooting for Washington. I won't. Samson? I'm rooting for Washington no matter what. Send Urban Meyer out of here with the loss. With the loss, man. Get him out with an L. Can't root for Washington if the next two games are uh, (laughs) big wins. Just can't do it. Won't do it. 503-417-7575. If you're a Duck fan, if you're a Beaver fan, who are you rooting for in the Rose Bowl? I bet Beaver fans probably rooting for UW. You know, they already lost to Ohio State. Nobody likes Ohio State in this area. No one. Beaver fan, Duck fan, doesn't matter. Duck fans probably hate, you know, Buckeyes a little bit more than Beaver fans, but... Still, no one likes Ohio State. But if you ask Duck fan who you hate worst, Ohio State or Washington, I'm telling you, it's not even close. Dude, it was 51-49 on the poll question. It's not close. Your poll, you get it out there, it's (laughs) skewed. The the process is flawed in the yeah, words of Bobby Bean. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Who are you rooting for in the Rose Bowl? UW or Ohio State? Who do you hate less? We'll let the break. We'll come back. We'll take your calls on that. Plus, preview the NFL Week Seventeen action too, and uh, whip around the College Football Playoff semifinals at the bottom of the hour on the BFT. Junior Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for the bold one on a Friday. BFT rocking and rolling into the new year, head banging our way into 2019. There's no other way to get into a new year than a little head banging. That's true. I know, Sampson, you're a fan of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't go full on metal. I'm going to be honest. I was I was rocking a little bit of classic 80s Metallica while I was walking to the station today. I was. That's solid, man. Yeah, yeah a little, little and justice for all. Ooh. For your Friday, Bobby. Love it. What's your uh, uh, music theme to close? I like what I like what Samson was playing. I'm I'm right down that road. You know what's funny though is that you, from a personality perspective, Bobby, I have a hard time seeing you be headbanger than uh, Samson. Peter knows. I I went uh, back in the day first uh, Coachella concert ever. You know who played? Wow. You know who opened? Metallica. 
tool. I was there, and I was banging in the front in the mosh pit. Seriously. It was awesome. Tool is phenomenal live. They I, were fantastic. What? Yeah, I saw them in probably 90, I don't know, five? Yeah. They were great. Oh, it was wonderful. I saw Tool, and then I saw Rage Against the Machine. It was fantastic. Dude, Rage might be the best, like, coverable band out there. You know, you talk about all their hits and how fun they are, how cathartic they are to play musically. I, I mean, you know, I'm an amateur drummer, guitarist. Rage stuff is so fun to play. <laughs> That's great for cover band material. Rage, Rage was fantastic, was. not just for the lyrical yeah. content, but you had like the tightest rhythm section yeah. in rock and roll. That's what stunned me about how boring Audio Slave was, <laughs> is you get the best rhythm section in rock and roll, you get Chris freaking Cornell singing over the top, and then it's just bland. Didn't okay. do it for me. Two, two great songs, though. Show Me How to Live is a great song. It's all right. Like a Stone. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a canned rock song. Like you, let, let's hire the songwriting team, bring that in and bang it out before lunch. I did not get that with like a stone. Wow. I don't wow. The thing you really Co- don't like it. Co- Coach Coaches is a great audio slave song. Coaches is great. But the thing is with audio slave, their demos got leaked. And one hundred two nine the game. Can I get they were so aggressive. Thanks for that, Bobby. Bobby taking a call here. <laughs> they and their their demos were so aggressive, but they leaked, so they scrapped everything and then uh, remade their first album, and it was toned down so much. Disappointed in Audio Slave, man. Okay, but the the guitar riff on Show Me How to Live is one among the goat guitar. I'll, I'll, I'll get down with that. I'll get down okay. with that. But the guitar riff in Cochise is what's up. But that doesn't hold up to Rage, and it doesn't hold up to Soundgarden. Soundgarden, I will give you. A Seattle band, right? Oh Seattle yeah, band, big time. Yeah, yeah. And give me, the, give me the 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 guitar riff to to outshined or uh, what's the opening track off Bad Motor Finger? That's a good question. It's a huge hit. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. Rusty Cage. Rusty Cage. Yeah. Give me that guitar riff any day of the week. Hey, Can- Bob, Bobby, watch my uh, computer levels here, if you would, because I'm not sure if uh, <clears throat> there's going to be adverts on this or not, but. Uh, Yes, there are adverts out there. And maybe, I'm not sure if YouTube even plays on here, so maybe it, it's not worth doing. But show me how to live. One of the, maybe you can pull it up. Show me how to live, guitar riff. She's <laughs> so good. So, so, so good. You know what came on yesterday that um, I think is a, a sneaky good song to sing along to? <laughs> this is, dude, I'm going to get ripped for this. Who cares? Lincoln Park, in the end. Silence. <laughs> Seriously? I get nothing for that? I'm not a huge fan. Not a huge fan of Linkin Park. But of that song? That riff? Dun, yeah, dun. yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing. They're nothing? not They're not entirely riff-based, though. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they had their thing. Who Who is that? Mike Shinoda? Mike the, mu- Shinoda the, yeah. the musical guy? The, the Kind of the mastermind mind behind Linkin Park? Yep. He, he, saw, he saw a niche. He saw a genre that partially existed, and he went all in, and credit where credit is due. That guy is uh, <laughs> rich beyond belief now. But, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that was a pretty good one. Come on. And the drums on this are so good. You know, get that splashy hi-hat going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I can I can beat that pretty quick though, man. I got really? Oh yeah. I gotta just do a little bit of searching though, real fast. In the meantime, we'll take a call here. Uh, let's go. I love live radio. Let's go out to uh, Portland. That's where Michael's at. Michael, what's your prediction on the Red Box Bowl? Well, I predict that the uh, Michigan State is going to win, man. And Judah, I called, man, because I wanted to give you props today, man. I take my hat off to you because it seemed like you turned in your um, homers card, man. And I appreciate that because, Judah, you know one of the biggest psychological <laughs> threats to fandom is the homer. The homer is the one that psychologically messes with the fans' state of mind because the people out here listen to the homers and they believe that stuff. And and I just want to thank you, man, for being different, for being for truthful. And, Judah, before I go, I want to ask you one question. Do you, who do you think is a better guard, Clyde Drexler, a Damian Lillard. Mike, appreciate that. I think it's Clyde, but Clyde played for longer, so I'll give Dame some time. I turn in my homer card. In- interesting. Interesting. I've never considered myself a homer, but I think implicitly, implicitly there is homerism bias that comes out, even subconsciously, when we're talking about the teams that we're exposed to the most. That's human nature. You know, or as Kevin from the office would say, that's human natural. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not Ducks colored glasses. I'm not even a Duck fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've just been exposed to Duck and Beaver football my entire life. So I've got more, I don't know, insightful takes, but everybody does. Everybody that's a Duck fan does. I'm just calling them like I see them. And Mike, I appreciate the take. Now, here's the thing everybody's calling in on the other side saying, well, a compliment from Crazy Mike might not be the best thing that you can yeah, get. There's also but the love, hater. There's also the hater. Mike, the Mike, opposite. The Mike. opposite of that. Yeah. Where there's everything's negative and everything. You're going to find every little bit of problem with everything. Well, I'll tell you Imagine this. Imagine that. I'll tell you this. And Samson, you were here too. And, and Bobby, you've been getting this flavor all week long too. When Justin Herbert announced his decision to come back, I had a take that splashed some water on the optimism. And I said, look. Pressure's on. That's what I first thing I said out of the gate. Everybody called in and said, you're hating on the guy. Like the stuff on Twitter saying you're disrespecting his decision. That's not even close to what I was doing. I was admiring him for his decision to come back, but I was saying, man, it's not what I would have done. I was a little surprised, and he better perform next year. That was the take. You know, I, I'm just trying to to speak more realism into the perception that it's all going to be Rose Bowl next year, or or even better. Easier said than done. We thought it was going to be 9 or 10 wins in the regular season this year. That soft schedule, what happened? Yeah. Eight wins. Blowouts at Tucson to a team not even going to a bowl by 30 points. Justin Herbert healthy all year. Are we forgetting what happened? This was a failed season in terms of expectation. Why does no one want to mention that? I think that the three of us, one of the things is and when you asked me yesterday, I think it was yesterday you asked me and Herbert, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of this decision. I was very, I'm very tentative so far on it because I think the pressure is not just on Herbert. I think the pressure is on the coaching staff, on the team, and, and I don't know if they're ready for all that. And I don't know if they're going to. My fear is the team is, has the ability probably to win 10 games, also has the ability to do the exact same thing they did this year next year with that schedule that road schedule is unbelievably brutal. 
And I think of Stanford and Washington this year. And look, they should have beat Stanford, but they very well could have lost to Washington if the kicker hits a 37-yarder. Like, yeah. That should have lost to UW. You know, and they had third and fourth string running backs in. Ahmed was hurt, and, and uh, Gaskin was hurt for the second half of that game. So, you know, I know Sewell goes down in that game, but you very well could have lost to Washington. How about part B of that question, Samson? Damian Lillard, Clyde Drexler, who's better? Damian Lillard. Clyde Drexler was 2-1 note. 2-1 note. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, he, w- he was just a slasher, and he was a legendary slasher. Uh, not a great jump shooter. Not a great intangibles guy. Clyde complained behind the scenes. Clyde, I don't know that he elevated his teammates to the maximum that he could have. Now, look, longevity, if we're taking that into account, you got to give it to Clyde. Clyde did it for longer. Um, I'm going to take Lillard. It's by a nose, and I'm not knocking Clyde. Clyde, Hall of Famer. Clyde, at at the time, best uh, two-guard in the NBA NBA behind Jordan for probably a two-year period. He was one of the guys that thought he was better than Jordan. Like, Obviously, he's wrong, but he literally (laughs) thought he was better than Jordan. Always. Yeah. He won bigger than Dame so far. That Absolutely. Right? Yeah, he had a team, though. Yep. I love this. We have a Dunleavy versus Stotts debate on the show today in hour number one. We've got a Clyde versus Dame debate in hour number three. We could do this for a long time. We should. I feel like we should uh, We should have a show. We should have a show. <laughs> and not only that, I'm multitasking. I'm on Twitter right now talking the best Rage Against the Machine riffs. Oh, that's a whole other segment. <laughs> Nick Before- Cody's about know your enemy. I'm Dude. more. I'm more of a calm like a bomb guy, but... A pocket full of shells. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Thomas is in Portland. What's up, Thomas? Hey, yeah. Um, so, my take on the Bla- uh, the Ducks, uh, I think they're going to win. It's going to be close. I think if the receivers can get some separation with Michigan State uh, secondary, I think we're going to be okay because we're not going to be able to run, to run the ball against Michigan State at all. Um, but I don't know if I'm the only one. I really can care less about this bowl game. I've already got my tickets booked uh, for the Auburn-Oregon game in Dallas Come on. and got my hotel reserved. So that's where I'm looking at. I'm excited for next year. I don't, I don't know about anybody else, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled for next year, Thomas. But don't you think that this game against Michigan State, well, he's off the board, but I, I think this game against Michigan State, and this is something that Nick Aliotti told me this week, that Mike Bellotti told me this week, that Neil Lomax told me this week, this game against Michigan State is a great barometer and indicator of what 2019 might look like. Agreed. The only factor we don't know, though, is the Patrick Herberts and the four-star receivers. They can't obviously play in this game. That will be there against Auburn. But I tell you what, I want to watch this game and watch it closely because it's going to tell you something about how Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo think about tweaking their offense, if at all, for 2019. More BFT coming up. Taking your predictions on Ducks, Michigan State. This is the last chance to do it as we take you up till 3 o'clock on the BFT, BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. But uh, we also got to tip our toes into this college football playoff national semifinals that is going down on Saturday. Barton Simmons writes for CBS Sports on the sport of college football across the country, and he's kind enough to join us right now on the BFT. Barton, thanks for taking the time. Uh, Which is the more intriguing matchup for you when it comes to semifinal Saturday? Notre Dame-Clemson in the Cotton Bowl or Oklahoma-Bama in the Orange Bowl? Well, I'm down here in Miami right now for the Orange Bowl, and um, maybe it's uh, 
a little biased because I'm here, but that that's the one that intrigues me. And, and I think because of what we could be in store for, I think the best case scenario for that game is is a fantastic matchup. Uh, if we see Kyler Murray really get loose, if we see Oklahoma really get up and down and uh, and get rolling against Alabama, which is certainly not a given. Uh, but if that takes place, knowing um, – uh, the issues Oklahoma has, knowing how good Alabama is on offense, I, I just think it could be a really fun shootout against the Heisman Trophy winner and the Heisman Trophy runner-up. I mean, what more can you ask for than that? So uh, I, I think that game has a chance to be special. Uh, it also has a chance where Alabama spoils it for all of us and uh, it just goes ahead and blows them out. Yeah, wouldn't be the first time that they've done that. <laughs> What's the latest on Tua's ankle? Well, I mean, on Wednesday he said 80 to 85%. Uh, he said he hopes to be or he expects to be 100% on game day, which is tomorrow. Uh, I don't know how that works out, how the math works, how, you know, uh, uh, you get 15 to 20% over the course of about 48 hours. Uh, but uh, that is telling to me, at least, that he's even willing to say, hey, 80 to 85%, uh, which is – less than perfect, less than 100%. Uh, I'm still working through it because we've seen Tua at less than 100%. Um, we've seen Tua uh, against Mississippi State when he got his knee twisted up. Uh, we've seen Tua against Georgia when that ankle really hit. And it, it's not the same Tua. It's still a really good quarterback, but it's just not the same person. He's not the same, uh, the, the same threat. And, and Alabama's different. Um, when when that's the case. And so if you're looking for ways this game is going to be really competitive, I, I think that is the first thing you look at is what is Tua's health. And, and if it's less than 100%, uh, that could be just enough to kind of slow up uh, Alabama and, and give Oklahoma uh, a shot to keep pace. Really looking forward to seeing how Nick Saban schemes defensively against Kyler Murray. What does that matchup look like for you? Kyler being such an electric player, uh, we know that Johnny Manziel and those kind of diminutive, uh, athletic, playmaking quarterbacks have been Bama's kryptonite in the past. Does Kyler fit that same bill to you? He does. I mean, I, I, Nick Saban said down here, he, he said, I mean, you don't hear this sort of effusive praise. And, and Saban will praise opponents, but, but, but he said he called him one of the best he maybe has ever played against or ever seen, and so when when you're when when you're bringing up that kind of a, a player, and when you know, you're having a season that Kyler Murray has had, um, I think it's a real challenge, and it, it's it's going to be a challenge for for every level of the defense. And I think that's what makes Kyler so unique is not only can he evade the rush and scramble if you're not really disciplined in your pass rush and you don't play with contain, uh, but he can, he can really threaten the second level of defenders as well with his ability to operate in the run game, in, in the scheme quarterback run game, in the RPO stuff. You know, if, if you don't have really good eye discipline in the second level, you're in trouble. And then in the third level, uh, he can beat you with his arm. I mean, he is that talented as a passer as well. So, I mean, it, it's going to take a really good effort from Alabama, but, but the good news is it's it's just a, the effort is just playing with really elite focus and discipline. And I think that Nick Saban's shown that 
his teams are certainly capable of that, and, and that's sort of his trademark. And so um, it's going to be a fun test to watch, one of the best in the business at creating a disciplined, uh, sound defense, go up against one of the, the, the best quarterbacks we've ever seen and threatening all of those disciplines. We're talking to Barton Simmons right now. He's live down at the Orange Bowl. National Rider, CBS Sports, College Football, the director of scouting of 24-7 Sports here on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Barton, how about the other semifinal between Notre Dame and Clemson, two undefeated teams? That line, I maybe, Vegas is trying to tempt me. Clemson minus 13, and we know about the suspensions for this game. We know Dexter Lawrence won't be playing on the D-line for Clemson. But we also know how ridiculously de- deep that they are at that uh, defensive line unit as well. Yeah. How? First of all, how much do the suspensions factor into the game on the field? Like, how, how much of an impact will they actually have? And then secondly, are we just disrespecting Notre Dame going into this one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of with you on this one. I, I, I do think that Notre Dame is, is a more real threat than Almost anyone's given them credit for. Um, you know, look, Dexter Williams is, is not a is not a small loss. Um, he's six four. He's three hundred fifty pounds. He's a freak show athlete. He's a. I mean, he, he's a big piece of the puzzle there defensively. And yet, he's also a guy that uh, Clemson's got a couple of a couple other guys that are that are pretty freaky as well. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that I think they're they're going to need to. Um, you know, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. Uh, but I think that that's an area where they've got some strength. But I think on the, the other side of that is is Notre Dame. And what I like about Notre Dame and, and the reason that I think Notre Dame does have a real opportunity here is how balanced they are um, and how, how many different ways they can beat you. And I'm not talking about just offensively. I'm talking about both sides of football. They can be a, a bend-but-don't-break defense. They can be a pressure defense. Um, they can beat you with their defensive front without bringing – uh, extra rushers from the second level. Uh, they've got a, a really talented secondary with guys like Julian Love, who is a consensus All-American. Um, there's just and, and they're just really structurally and fundamentally sound. Uh, their defensive coordinator Clark Lee has done just a, a, a phenomenal job uh, of taking over that unit and, and elevating it to the next level. Uh, and then on offense, same thing. You know, they can they can throw it downfield against you. Uh, with with Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, six five, six four receivers. Uh, Dexter Williams has really taken the running game to the next level, and Ian Book is just so efficient uh, as a passer and so accurate. And so, uh, I, I still think Clemson wins the game. I, I just think this is not the 2012 Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I, I think this is a, a group that's got NFL guys all over the field, um, and and. You know, those, those, those guys are going to be playing on Sundays, and, and I, I'm not convinced they're going to get run out of the house by a Clemson team that, that's certainly really talented in its own right. And I'll get your picks for those two semis here in just a moment. But looking at other uh, New Year New Year's Six games as well, and look, LSU-UCF, uh, I'm going to watch it. It's the Fiesta Bowl. It's great. But Noah McKenzie-Milton kind of puts a damper on that one to me. Texas-Georgia, 
I mean, Georgia is a two touchdown favorite. Texas, a four loss team, making a Sugar Bowl. I'll probably watch it, but Washington, Ohio State's the one I got my eye on. And of course, here in Pac 12 country, we have Oregon Duck fans that are split between hating Ohio State, but really hating Washington and not wanting them to win, but also wanting the Pac 12 to represent well on the national stage. Uh, what do you what do you see in the Huskies Buckeyes Rose Bowl game on New Year's Day? Yeah, y'all should take a page out of the SEC book and just root for the conference uh, because the Pac-12 needs this one from a national prestige standpoint, and 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 uh, and, I, and I think that they're they've got a chance to surprise some people in the same way. You know, no one's really given Notre Dame a chance uh, against Clemson. I mean, I'm not seeing many people picking Washington to win this thing, given the way Ohio State finished the season against Michigan, and hey, this is Urban Myers swan song or farewell tour and going out in the Rose Bowl, his first Rose Bowl at Ohio State, all those sort of things. And uh, and yet I, I, I kind of look up and knowing how good Washington is defensively, particularly in the secondary where they can match up uh, with that really talented Ohio State wide receiver group, um, you know, knowing that Jake Browning, who's been just a kind of um, – I don't know how you describe Jake Browning's career, but it feels like he's been a very, you know, he's, he's been doubted, I guess, late in his career, and, and for good reason. I, I was on the, I was on the Jake Browning fade, Jake Browning train early in my early in his career as well. But he's still a scrappy competitor. He's still got to love his his demeanor and mentality, and uh, and, and I would imagine he's going to have his his best effort in a game like this, which is his last game. So uh, it, it's, I think it's a fascinating matchup. I think it's really easy to see Ohio State get, you know, this game getting away from Washington. And yet my, my hunch here is it's a close game, a competitive game, and Washington has the pieces to match up pretty well with the strengths of Ohio State. Ooh, all right. We'll be keeping our eye on that. Uh, finally, who do you got playing in the national championship? Are we destined for Bama-Clemson Part 4? I, I think we are. Um, I, I've got both uh, – Notre Dame and Oklahoma covering the spread. I, I think they're both going to be competitive. I think they're both going to be fun games. And and yet, I, look, there, there's this been a collision course from day one. Um, this is always going to be Clemson, Alabama, and, and I think that's what we're going to get. Um, just they're they're too balanced, um, and and they've got elite elite trigger men at quarterback and so much skill around them. Um, I, I just think that uh, I, I think they're too good to slip up. Uh, so it should be another fun one. Uh, if, uh, but that's, I expect more of the same Clemson Bama for. Follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons, national writer, CBS Sports College Football, director of scouting of 24-7 Sports, the co-host of the Cover 3 College Football Park podcast. Barton, thanks for the time, my friend. Appreciate the insights and the breakdown. Have a happy New Year's Day and enjoy the semifinals at the Orange Bowl. Yeah, you too, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Boom. There he is, Barton Simmons. We wrap up the BFT coming up next on a Friday. Uh, new year coming up Tuesday. This is actually the final segment of the BFT before 2019. I want to thank John Cazzano for the platform, for the radio show, for the army of listeners. This brand has uh, been so successful over 
basically a decade. It's crazy to think about, but it's been a lot of fun joining you here on Noon to 3 from uh, Monday through today. Sons Christmas, Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. It's been a fun ride. Uh, let's get Red Box Bowl predictions, official ones, going into this game. Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. We got Oregon actually just looked at the spread. Minus two and a half. So it's still bumping up a little bit. I think this show is influencing Vegas because <laughs> everyone that's come on has uh, has been inflating the ducks, pumping up the ducks. Perception's all ducks. Samson, where are you going? Well, with great power comes great responsibility. I actually, like, I like the ducks 24-17 in this one. Okay. So by a touchdown, but not, uh, not pedal to the metal offense. Not going to be a blowout. It's not going to be uh, that seven-point lead, you know, three is seven tied. It's going to roll that way through most of the game. It's not going to be you know twenty four three and then and then Michigan State scores a couple. It's going to be pretty tight the whole way. Samson's in twenty four seventeen. Where are you going, Bobby? Thirty one twenty one. Ducks. Yeah, right. Washington. Yeah, yeah. Washington. Um, all right. Twenty four because one, they can't move the ball conventionally. Two, why the hell not? Three, I think uh, it's a bowl game, man. You got a lot of time to work on crap. And I think uh, some those gadget plays. I think they're going to come up with a lot of gadget plays early in this football game because Michigan State wins this football game by getting an early lead and then staying true to the run, and they win it by three to four points. One of the things about Levitt's defense this year is that the in, once they get to the red zone, it's a totally different kind of defense. They seem to clamp up. I mean, how many times have, they, have teams gone in over 40 times? I think totally, you know 20-some times they've gotten in the end zone. So it's it's one of those things where where do you think – with this offense on Michigan State, where do you think the holes are? Because we talk a lot about what needs to happen on the offensive side for Oregon State, but the defensive side, there are some holes there, too. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, Oregon's red zone defense is fifth best in the country yeah. in terms of opponents scoring touchdowns when they get in the red zone. That's a great point because Sparty, as we know, even if they can move the ball, I mean, it's a whole different animal to get it in the paint. So from that standpoint, advantage Oregon, I, I don't know. I, I I think Michigan State does have a trick play up their sleeves and a successful one. So I'll go ahead and I'm going to give them 16 points in this game. Oregon offensively, I think they figure some stuff out. The more the thing I'm intrigued with more is does Oregon get to 100 rushing yards? Because Sparty has allowed that one time this year. They lost that game to Penn State. They're averaging, what, 80 yards allowed rushing per game, best in the country. Oregon, that want, they want that to be their identity. Does Oregon get to 100 yards rushing in this game? Wow. That's a good question. That's a great question. By the way, C.J. Verdell only needs, I think, 90 yards rushing to reach the 1,000-yard plateau. I don't think it's even that. No, no, wait, you're right. It's like 15. I yeah, think. it's yeah. 15 or 20. Yeah. I'll tell you this. If they do get 100, Oregon wins easy. Really? Yeah. I think Oregon does not get to 100, but they do win this football game. And if that's the case, then I'll you know stick to my score. I, I think it gets it's a higher score. I think they win by more if they get to 100 because that balance attack. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And we, we're forgetting Justin Herbert's yeah, legs too. Right? Exactly. You know, I mean, and Collar called in earlier said he has a trouble sliding. Cat's six six. You don't see a lot of six six baseball players out there as well that uh, are are super good at sliding. Um, the taller you are, the harder a movement that is to do, is my point. The reason Russell Wilson's so freaking good at it is because he's built like a second baseman anyway. 
Um, so, yeah, Justin Herbert does need to learn how to slide a little bit more. It's unfortunate. But, I mean, you remember the Stanford game, that second half. You knew exactly what Stanford was going to do. And the Ducks had to, were playing off, and they, they just kept going to the, to the tall wide receiver for Stanford, that, that all-American receiver they have. Yeah, our second wide side. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but, see, the thing is, Michigan State doesn't have anybody like that. They don't that. have it. They don't have it. They don't got nothing. So I'm going to go ahead. You know, it's funny. I've willed my way into it. I'm going to go ahead and say Oregon uh, 23, Michigan State 16. I'm writing it down right now. 23-16. Would you have 24-17? 24-17, yeah. So we're right about on the same page here. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. But I I just think it's a nip and tuck game to get to that point. Yeah. And it won't. I'm not sure if it'll ever be a two-score lead, but it, it might not be fun to watch. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> From an aesthetic standpoint, it might not be fun to watch. If you're Michigan State and you win the toss, do you play defense or offense first? I think you play offense. You go trick play. Wow! Wow! I, you win this game playing left-handed. I'm that's play, my thing. I'm playing defense, and I'm hoping to set a tone early. If I'm yeah, Michigan State, that's what I'm I doing. think that's conventional. But I it think is. D'Antonio says, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, okay. Look, I win this game by getting an early lead. That's yeah, how I win this game. The beginning. If you do a trick play in the beginning, I'm, it, that's a big old red flag. If you're if you're it's Levitt, if you're Levitt, <laughs> you Reeks gotta of know. That's right. You gotta know that that. That's, <laughs> you're right. Levitt, I think, has got to be prepared for that. I'm sure we got a month to freaking game plan for these games. I mean, they, they've got to have everything figured out. So, anyway, you can also tweet your predictions at 1029 the game. Uh, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, final 40 seconds. Fun ride, man. Great week all week. Happy holidays to you. Yeah, yeah. Happy uh, to be here. Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and looking forward to a great 2019, man. 2019. Any wow. resolutions, Bobby? Sure. More red boxing? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it. That'll be my resolution. I'll try red box. Wow. He set the world back 30 years. <laughs> what about you, man? Any resolutions? Uh, work out more. There you go. That's a good one. Work out more. Pretty oh, you, simple. You, you can come running with me in three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Three in the morning. You yeah. disgust me, Bobby. I'll, I'll be there. Uh, yeah. No, I got a lady in the life now. You don't want to look good. That's right. That's, there's nothing like the motivation of a sweet young lady. So. Why, why do men do anything? All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Signing off.